0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: The Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. The wait is finally over and the NBA is back. Football is in full swing with the playoffs and BetOnline knows you might not be able to get out to a game this year, but you can still get in on the action at Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. (coughs) What's up, guys? Here we are, finally, putting a button, a bow, whatever you want to call it, on this polished turd that was the 2020 season. And, uh, you know, lots to say, lots to cover. So I'm going to make this as short and sweet as, as humanly possible because, uh, as usual, my year-in-review guest was Lauren Cox, is Lauren Cox. And, uh, as usual, when he and I get together for these episodes, uh, we cover a lot, and I mean a lot, because we also benefited from the fact that we recorded this on Wednesday night uh, just mere hours after the Bears had had their year-end, year, year-end press conference where the glorious news that both Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy would be back for 2021, and then they spent 90 minutes dodging reporters' questions, uh, which was absolutely infuriating uh, to listen to. It was It was head-scratching. It just was they put their absolute worst foot forward, Uh, In this in this press conference, I mean, with the news that they were delivering, that Nagy and Pace were both coming back, that was going to be unpopular no matter what. And they made it worse by how they um, delivered this message. Oh, and Ted Phillips is coming back as well. So aside from Chuck Pagano retiring, nothing is changing, nothing whatsoever. So hip, hip, hooray uh, with that. So but Lauren and I, we start the episode. Uh, talking about uh, the press conference and how disturbing it was how frustrating it was and all the questions that it leaves open uh, for 2021 then we kind of get into the last half of the season because we had Lauren uh, during the bye week to discuss the first 10 games of the season and then we talk about the Bears you know uh, you know Mitch coming back for for week 12 against the the Packers on Sunday night football and, and, you know, how we got a little taste of the offense getting better and then how it all kind of looked. And then, you know, the bears absolutely falling apart the last two games of the year, which would be week 17 against green Bay. And then the wild card game uh, against the saints and um, you know, what, what the, what the future looks like and, you know, thoughts on Deshaun Watson and uh, everything there literally isn't every anything, that we that we don't cover uh because uh, we pack it all into a tight two hours so i hope nobody's busy or i hope you're in the car driving someplace a nice long uh commute because we got uh, tons uh to cover so uh let me go ahead and shut my face so you can listen to me talk out of the front of my face with lauren for the next two hours it is the 2020 year in review episode of the bears talk underground so let's go ahead and get to it Well, for the second time in three years, our beloved make a very untasteful exit to the uh, postseason. Two years ago was more of a heartbreaking moment. Uh, This past Sunday was more of a ball wrenching one, I would say, having to sit there and watch that uh, for 60 minutes. And uh, but it's uh, the annual Lauren Cox visit for the year in review episode uh, for our beloved in 2020. So, Lauren, welcome back, man.
2: Hey, appreciate you having me back, and you know it. It threw me off when you said last Sunday because it feels like it's been like three weeks already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, 2021 is picking right back up. Oh man, it's it platform. really is.
1: Yeah, and what's funny is um, how often, and we'll dig right into this. So because I was putting the show off until putting releasing this until Friday, because we heard like it was radio silence from the Bears since they left New Orleans on, on Sunday night. No news about coaching changes that we were all expecting or hoping for, crossing our fingers, anything like that. Across the board, we're not hearing anything, and I was going to leave it for Friday because I was going to wait until Thursday to hear something because going into the end of the night last night, we didn't hear anything scheduled, and then it was basically like 10 minutes before the schedule, before the press conference was scheduled is when they let everybody know that it was coming. At least, you know, it was like 9.50, we knew the press conference was at 10, so, we, you know, we all snuggled in. So before we get to what a disaster the last six weeks of the season was, let's go ahead and talk about the disaster that was the press conference uh, this morning. Um, you and I are talking briefly just before we got done recording, and uh, I just I know, mentioned to you that um, everyone involved is, is, is lucky that the equipment for my little uh, home workstation here belongs to my employer, or else I would have broken it into a million pieces listening to the garbage flying out of all four of those guys' mouths this morning. and I'm talking Nagy, Pace. Phillips, McCaskey, no changes. Everybody's coming back.
2: Yeah, it was It was one of those things like I just found myself laughing, you know, once you got into it a little bit. And especially when you hear the word collaboration for the <laughs> 10th or 12th time, and it's just, like, it becomes like its own joke. Like the, the yeah. jokes, write themselves, they're, they're almost like a meme in a press conference. Like it's just, it's so stereotypical, like, business buzzword synergy collaboration and you know all those different corporate america type phrases that i'm sure a lot of people listening are are sick of hearing at their own day job yeah and as hell don't want to hear it from their football team you know like it just it 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 felt like another one of these situations where it didn't feel like they prioritized winning i mean they, they at least acknowledged that they haven't had enough wins and that things aren't good enough but like so often it was like, well, yeah, we're not winning enough, but this, this, and this. And I I, th- I, think we just want to hear this organization say, you know what? Winning is our number one priority, and every step we will take will bring us closer to winning. And here is why the steps that we are going to take will help us win more football games. And they failed to very clearly articulate that from any of the four of them.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of double speak, and, you know, like you said, a lot of buzzwords It became a drinking game by the end of it. I mean, if like you said, you know, collaboration, that was a word we heard endlessly from everybody from McCaskey, who started first, then Phillips, then came Ryan Pace and then Nagy. And then it was the questions for all of the above. And it was nothing but these, you know, these answers where they were kind of talking around uh, the issue. I mean, was it, was it weird that a Phillips and McCaskey, and then Pace and Nagy refuse to talk about how much time they have left on their contracts.
2: Yeah, that doesn't seem like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of harm in that. It's Like, they were trying to protect something, but I I don't know, I I don't think there was much harm in actually talking about it, I guess is what I mean. Like, I I think we are all assuming that they are both on entering final years of their contract, although I think there was some reporting that perhaps Nagy has one additional year. Like, I I get that they're, they're right that it shouldn't matter. It, it shouldn't affect their decision-making process this year, but like it's human nature. Yeah. Like you're, if you're Ryan Pace and this is your last year of your deal and you're not going to get a contract extension unless you earn quote unquote, a contract extension, even though he got one after the John Fox era, after losing a bunch of football games, so that's a different discussion. <laughs> like, of course you, you would think what's in the best interest of Ryan Pace might not be what's in the best interest of, the long-term success of the Chicago Bears versus the short-term success of the Chicago Bears. So it just seemed like they made a bigger deal out of it than they needed to. They like, just yeah. said, yep, on the last year of our deals, and it's like, all right, that's kind of what we thought. Thanks, check in a box and move on. But now it's a big thing that we're talking about.
1: Yeah, because they were so adamant about not answering the question. It was really, really weird. I mean, I, I I'd give credit to Hub Arcus. He's like, dude, I don't care what you make. I just want to know how much longer— <laughs> Your contract is. He's like, be, because Pay said, well, we treat these the same as player contracts. Like, dude, I know how much to the penny, how much Robert Quinn is making, Khalil Mack, Trimitch, you know, all the way down to it. I, I, we know how, how long these guys' deals are, how much they're making. We know that Robert Quinn signed a four-year deal, but it's really like a two-year deal, you know, because the guaranteed money will be gone and how much guaranteed money there is and blah, 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 blah. It's like, we don't care how much you're making. We just want to know how much time you have left because we think – as a collective that uh, it may determine how you're going to make these decisions in a do or die year going into 2021.
2: It just kind of, it comes back to the same like culture and identity thing about what, what the organization prioritizes. And it doesn't seem to be like a clear direction on short versus long-term future and where they intend this team to go. Like you could see where Ryan Pace may have some incentive to draft a rookie quarterback. Cause then you can go to ownership and say, well, we just got this rookie, and so that's why we couldn't win as many games because we have this rookie quarterback, and we have to take him along slowly, and they give him more time. You could also see Ryan Pace saying, "What's the last year my deal? I got to trade for, you know, Derek Carr or whatever pick, pick veteran available quarterback that costs a lot of money, and go all in on that, and perhaps sacrifice some of the team's future beyond him, knowing that this first year right in front of him is the most important. It's like, it just, it, it just feels so unnecessary, and another example of kind of how they you know they don't completely blow these situations but they just don't handle them perfectly. They don't handle them the way they probably should.
1: Yeah, and and it's like I, I was, you know, trying to trying to talk myself into it yesterday when I was uh recording the uh the, the review show for the for the game uh on Sunday and it was like I I made the the statement where it's like I could see or for me I, I would prefer Nagy over Pace as far as hook should come back. And and I guess my my I didn't really have a complete thought about it. I was kinda of disappointed with it. I couldn't really, you know, uh verbalize it as well as, as I wanted to, but I think it's more like you look at Nagy, no losing seasons as a head coach over versus what what pace uh has, you know, wins and losses for pace and what he's gone through, it's like you, you know, it, it becomes hard to justify keeping either one. But I think with pace being in in what would be have to be called like a lame duck year, if he is only one, because con- I've also read that that maybe they extended him to equal Nagy's contract when they signed him, so maybe they both have two years. But the fact that neither one of them would confirm it for us today was one of the more frustrating aspects of the conversation.
2: Yeah, and I I feel that same frustration that you did in terms of like. Trying to articulate exactly, you know, bringing, you know, the idea of of firing and keeping Ryan Pace versus Matt Nagy because, you know, they're not the worst GM in the NFL. They're not the worst head coach. No, no, they're not. And I don't think I mean we don't have to like go through and rank them, but like I wouldn't. I don't know that I'd put them necessarily even bottom five. I mean you can start talking, you know exactly which range. But like this is not the worst run team in football. They it's it. They're right that it isn't easy to go to the playoffs twice in three years. All no. things considered and all the criticism in there. So like I understand that there is a risk of you fire these guys and you can go down from here. You can get worse. You can you can find much worse options. We've seen much worse options in Chicago, and it certainly feels safer. To kind of keep them and accept some mediocrity in that, knowing that there's some stability in there. But you, again, we talk about how what is the, what is the priority: stability and consistency, or truly putting the best team and taking the chances necessary to field a Super Bowl-winning team that is focused on winning games above everything else. It doesn't feel like that's quite what their actions have showed us.
1: Yeah, and they kept talking about the culture. And winning culture. And two years ago, after the 2018 season, it was remarkable the culture that this team had with, you know, Club Dub and and how, like, you know, the the way the team responded to Nagy and how that, that got us extra wins just because the effort that he was getting, you know, from these guys. But the last two seasons, I wouldn't say that the culture was rich in Chicago like I would have two years ago. I would have gone to my grave for Nagy and what he did after year one and and why guys were taking like lock like, haha clinton dicks took a one year you know three million dollar deal for nothing to come to chicago because he wanted to play with eddie jackson he wanted to be part of what we were doing uh in in 2018 the bears were a team that was on the way up and blah 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 you really couldn't say that after 2019 and you certainly can't say it after 2020 i mean mitch god bless him uh, talking about how you know he ex- used that word exactly, culture, in his uh, press conference after the game uh, on Sunday, talking about how you know we need to change the culture and some of the things that we're doing and you know what we w- what we are willing to accept is, is one of the more interesting things that he said. And I don't know if he said that because it's true or if he said that because he's giving these guys a poke on his way out because he knows he's not coming back.
2: That. Comment from Trubisky, I think, was so was bigger than it was made to be. Like, it, I don't think enough was made of that, especially in the context that you just applied there with what George McCaskey and Ted Phillips said. That, like, if Mitch Trubisky of all people, yeah, yeah. saying that, that for a couple, I mean, one, he is a leader of your team, a well-respected person in the locker room, who I I get the impression has a good feel for how his teammates feel and is somewhat speaking on their behalf when he says that this culture accepts or needs to change what it, what it allows and what it accepts as okay. But then also Mitch himself being someone who was benched because they were not accepting his level of quarterback play as good enough. I mean, there's, there's some different dynamics there that are conflicting, but I think, you know, as much as they point to overcoming adversity for Matt Nagy as yeah. a sign of a positive culture, I think there's something to be said about hitting that adversity in back-to-back years in the same way as a sign of a, an issue with not necessarily the culture directly, but certainly the the leadership and the the coaching and the team construction and all the things that lead us to want Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy fired.
1: Yeah, it, w- it was uh, it was quite an interesting comment and and an interesting source of that comment. It's like Mitch is usually the guy that goes out of his way to say. Uh, the right things and you know uh, he got the good guy award from the from the Chicago press uh, because this you know it's like you you can't help but like the guy you know he the the the, where he gets benched by the uh, that game in the Falcons he doesn't have to talk to the media he does it anyway he answers all of their questions he doesn't dodge anything uh you know that week that we played the Texans must have been hell on earth for him to listen to you know uh, asking him the same question over and over again about the comparisons between him and Watson and how basically, you know, basically asking how do you feel about being a mistake that everyone, you know, everyone thinks that you're a mistake and blah, 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 blah. He answered every one of those questions. He didn't get pissed off. He didn't tell the, you know, the, the, the press to go screw themselves with these goddamn questions or anything like that. And, you know, but to hear it coming from him in that way, you wonder if it was, if there was truth to it, if it was out of spite or maybe it was both.
2: And it was so unprompted. Yeah. He was not asked, hey, Mitch, what do you think about the Bears culture? I think that if I remember right, the question he was asked was just, you know, how would you evaluate your improvement this season or your performance this season, particularly after you were benched? And he talked about how, you know, the team kind of came together and they found this identity. And and then he volunteered the whole culture thing on his own. So it was clearly something. He wanted to share and wanted to make a point to share because generally, you know, players aren't always thrilled about doing their press conferences and answering a lot of those questions. And so they don't tend to say more than they want to say or say more than they need to say. And he clearly he wanted to get that out there. He wanted to make he wanted to sneak that point in and what probably he knows will be his last press conference with the Chicago Bears.
1: So let me ask you, because I like I said, I was I was uh, working at the time and I got a call in the middle of the press conference right around the time that Nagy and Pace started taking questions. So they made their statements. They started making questions. This was a part that I missed. Did anybody ask Nagy
2: if he was calling the plays on Sunday? He, Yes, he was asked, and he didn't. He, For some reason, he kind of gave this roundabout answer. Yeah, and then of eventually, course he did. Well, he eventually said, you know, we didn't change any of what we were doing over the last six or seven weeks of the season. Oh, bullshit. He didn't explicitly (laughs) say Bill Lazor was calling the... So he's like, it was a collaborative... I mean, he used the collaborative Mm, word again. It's the C of the press conference. You know, it was a lot of working together through that whole process, but essentially conceded by the end that in theory, based on the way the way he made it sound, like Bill Laser was still calling the plays throughout, but he had just as much influence in the wildcard game as he did in the first game laser called plays. Like it he tried to make it seem like it never really fluctuated.
1: Lauren, you watched every game this year, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. You could tell the difference between laser calling plays and Nagy calling plays, couldn't you?
2: I mean, certainly from when they formally made that change, I, I don't I don't know that I completely buy the, uh, I don't know that I buy the idea completely that Nagy did some play calling in Week 17 against the Packers or week or the Wild Card game against the Saints. I think I think Mag, Matt Nagy's influence on Bill Lazor's decisions was l- larger, but I don't think that like in the middle of the game Matt Nagy would get on the headset and say, "Let me take this one, Bill. Let me make this call." And this it just doesn't quite feel like how functional offense works in the nfl and i think we would have i think more would have come out about that if there was a real direct back and forth like i would believe more like if Nagy had just straight up taken play calls for a whole game like he took the packers game completely but he he denies that and i i think there was enough of the laser influence in there that i just think Nagy influenced he wanted some things sprinkled in they he influences the game plan and and of course laser calling plays based off of that game plan so yeah i, I think Nagy's. Fingerprints are all over it, but I still think laser was the one calling all the plays.
1: I disagree. I just, I mean, the granted the Saints, the the Saints 2.0, who we saw on Sunday, probably the best defense we played all year. But um, we, we didn't do any of the things that we were doing earlier during the stretch where we had that offensive resurgence. And, and it's like, I know we got to take it with a grain of salt because the level of defenses we were playing against, in that stretch of time, but you—it's like it was—it was all back to the things that we sucked at, and during the during the season when we were struggling so mightily on offense, and it's like it was all inside runs from Montgomery, and no real effort to get him to the outside, which is where he does his best work. We we did maybe one, maybe two rollouts as opposed to making it a a, a you know key component uh, of the offense. It was all dropbacks and making Mitch read the field, which he can't do. And it's just it was like it looked like, you know, Nagy was back to trying to fit the square peg into the round hole uh, again. And we got the same results that we did earlier uh, in the season when we were struggling on offense, trying to beat our head up against the rock and get results.
2: I, I think you could make the counter argument that I mean, of course, you, you already mentioned that the quality level of the defenses, but just yeah. also once once you have four or five games of Bill Lazor play calling tape, it becomes easier for defenses to figure out what they're trying to do and adjust to that. And we saw the Saints and somewhat the Packers, although not as much, you know, like try and take away those rollouts. They would have an edge rusher, you know, typically on the, on the play action rollout, you're not blocking the end guy in the line of scrimmage. And the play action is sort of supposed to suck him inside. So Travis, can roll out away from him. And the saints were just kind of heading straight for the quarterback on some of those and trying to take away some of those easy underneath checkdowns on some of the rollouts. Again, they can completely take it away, but I can see where y- they couldn't keep doing the same things in the exact same ways. They had to try and keep it fresh and try and adjust it because defenses could respond in that way. And against the saints, They schemed up a wide-open touchdown for Javon Wims that could have changed the game. The throw right before that was a brilliant downfield throw to Wims on just to get his man down the sideline. And then in the second half, I I believe, there was the the one play that Mitch Trubisky got sacked on real bad. He had Jimmy Graham open for a touchdown downfield on that play. If he had had a little bit more time to throw the ball, Graham was pulling away from his defender. It was a vertical route. I mean, it was all right there. So, like, there were successful offensive scheme Uh, results and actions in the Saints game that could have gone differently and swung the game had execution gone differently from the players which gets back to everything Matt Nagy keeps saying is guys gotta execute guys gotta execute and of course that's not solving the problem
1: yeah yeah so but I I think it's curious that he didn't really really you know he kind of half answered the question and used the c-word again with the collaboration (laughs) and uh, and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's for someone who got so much credit, you know, like in his very first Chicago press conference for transparency, mm-hmm. he's it's like talking to John Fox and Lovie Smith again, where it's everything was shrouded in this. And, you know, the, you know, these very underhanded answers that give us you no, know, like he said, he said a lot, but he didn't really say anything all at the same time.
2: That's what bothers me a lot about the way Matt Nagy has I guess developed as a head coach, like you know, he's been all about the BU and the authenticity. But like, who he is has changed. Yeah. So like, when you talk about BU, you know, th- th- there hasn't really been an a, a true consistent identity, not only for the offense, but like for him as a coach. Like the exact thing you were saying there. He was the the light, happy, fun, transparent let you in behind the curtain a little bit and talk openly about things coaches early on and then has changed to the end and continues to say, well, there's no egos involved and we just want guys to be themselves. But like, who, who are you? What are you? You, you keep changing and how how does that reflect on the team and how are guys able to be themselves when, you know, the scheme starts changing and they're trying to figure everything out. I mean, it just, the whole, the whole culture thing kind of falls a little flat for me that way
1: yeah and and then you know the, the unfortunate theme of of Chuck Pagano you know retiring uh made to look like the scapegoat uh of all of this like well that was the re- re- was the problem was that the defense went over the deep end and look at all these guys that we have we got Quinn we got Mack we got Hicks we got this guy we got Eddie Goldman coming back next year theoretically and you know, we we got Roquan Smith and blah blah. blah. We got Eddie Jackson. These are all pros. These are guys that you know are making all NFL teams and blah. blah. And look how we performed out of there. It's got to be the scheme, Chuck Pagano. You know, and I wonder if he was given a quit or be fired uh, ultimatum. You know, and uh, you know, or, I, or actually, I hope for his sake it was just genuine. Like, you know, what? I'm too old for this. I just want to go home and be with my family, and you know, enjoy the fruits of my labor in, in my in my many years. Uh, in the NFL and I think it was David Huff or Brad Biggs one of the two that said it you know it doesn't really show you know like um, I forget how it was phrased as far as like it doesn't really show like a a a solution as much as it is grasping at the obvious like yeah the defense was terrible especially for a the money that's being spent and b the talent that's on that side of the ball you know the the ax was going to fall on Chuck Pagano regardless so that's I think we all saw that coming no matter what. And then just the changes that we all thought also needed to be made, nothing happened. So it's it's kind of like when they pointed to firing Harry Heastand and bringing in Juan Castillo as the cure-all for the offensive line coming into this year.
2: Yeah, and I think with Pagano, the timing to me makes it seem like it was more so his independent decision. Just It was so quick yeah. after lost like you know Matt Nagy said he's still in the process of meeting with all of his coaches to even start some of these discussions and I I tend to believe him there just because you know in years past when we have seen him make coaching changes it has been you know a week two weeks three weeks after the season he he does take his time to kind of go through this so I could see where Pagano maybe saw the writing on the wall anyway and thought yeah I probably am going to get fired but I don't know that he was explicitly told like hey Retire, or you will be forced. to Yeah,
1: leave. I, I don't think it was as malicious as, yeah. as that, but I, I think that it was a matter of how do you want the announcement to come out that we've <laughs> that we've let you go, or that you've walked away on your own terms, uh, kind of thing. You know, it's like I don't think that somebody was sitting at a desk pointing a finger in his face and being like, you know what, you either quit or we're firing your sorry ass. But no matter what, this is your last day as defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. How do you want to do it? It wasn't done like that. Yeah,
2: you know. Nagy and Pace talked about. It. I think he's. I think they mentioned Pagano's got like great grandchildren on the way. I, I or thought, I thought I heard him say great grandchildren. Yeah, not.
1: one of his daughters got married, or two of his daughters got married, or something like that. So that's definitely a possibility. Yeah.
2: So I mean, at that point, it might just be his grandchildren. But regardless, you know, he does have you know, family that he wants to spend time with. He's been a coach for 30 years or whatever. And of course the cancer diagnosis and recovery that, I mean, he's, he's an old guy. I mean, it makes sense. It's not like this is a surprise, a huge surprise retirement necessarily that no one expected him to retire anytime soon. It's like, it, it adds up good enough.
1: Yeah. One other thing. Um, One, one of the things that I was saying going into, this press conference and and everything was that if they do stay, which was likely, um, just based alone on the fact they made the playoffs, that was pretty much what tipped the needle in their favor. But from from the performance that that the Bears gave, from the lack of a offense and how pathetic we looked on that side of the ball in the biggest game of the year, from the undisciplined uh, you know plays that were made throughout the I mean. We had Javon Wims 2.0 and Anthony Miller this time. Um, the, the you know, Eddie Jackson jumping off sides on fourth and three, giving the Saints a first down uh, and, and things like that, that it would have to be one hell of a here's the plan for 2021 speech that that Nagy and Pace were going to give to keep their jobs. And no matter how many times they were prodded by the Chicago press Nobody gave an answer as to what the plan was or what Nagy and Pace said in order to convince McCaskey that going forward they were the best option for us.
2: It feels like the decision shouldn't have been based on getting to the playoffs in that Saints game, right? I mean, like, it you would think... And and even Phillips and McCaskey both said it. they were judging Pace and Nagy on their full body of work, or I don't remember exactly how they phrased it, but you know it wasn't just one thing; it was their whole body of work. So you you would think that you wouldn't need that Saints game and the playoff performance to sway you in either direction. That you either believe Matt Nagy is an offensive innovator and a guy who can steady the ship and. Lead this team with a great control of the locker room and, and be the guy you want. And you you believe that Ryan Pace is a good talent evaluator who's made some mistakes, but everybody makes mistakes. Like you either believe that already or you don't. And I don't know that that belief is swayed by what happens against Green Bay and against the Saints. Like it just feels like like if the Bears had finished seven and nine, you still and missed the playoffs. I feel like it's still the same Matt Nagy and still the same Ryan Pace. And I I, I just don't trust mccaskey and phillips to be able to properly tell whether or not they have the right head coach and right And that was one of the, the good questions that mark potash from the chicago sun times really held george mccaskey too and he was like he's like you know you i know you're not making the football decision day to day but you have to be able to know about football operations to be able to tell whether Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are doing a good job yeah. of football yeah. operations, and he really didn't have a good answer for that. He kind of said that's that's a fair criticism and a fair question, but I'm held accountable by my board of directors and kind of passed it off above him. Yeah, it was. He
1: sure did. And then what, I think it was also Podesh that was asking um, a Pace and and held him uh, his feet to the fire as far as you know, because one of the reasons that I wasn't uh, you know keen on having Pace back and. You know, and, and all the credit in the world for what he has done. I've always, you know, lauded him for finding guys like Mooney and Jordan Howard and Bilal Nichols in, in day three. You know, where you're just kind of filling out your roster, not finding impact players. Pace has hit more home runs in, in day three than any GM I think we've ever had. And um, but asking him, as far as like you know the moves that you're going to make, how can we trust that that you're going to have the Bears' long term future in? In uh, in 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 you know in its best interest versus you trying to make sure you renew a contract extension, and I don't think Pace would would do that. But it's a genuine question, and he gave a really lousy answer for it.
2: The same kind of thing with the quarterback questions, like you know, what did you learn yeah. from? Drafting Mitch Trubisky, and he's like, "Well, there's a lot of different things I learned, and that, that's something we could." Even Matt Nagy was like, "Yeah, we could go on and on about all the different things that go into quarterback evaluations, and then didn't go yeah. on on like he just said. There's a lot, and no one kept going into that, and that that was one of the biggest failures. It's like we so little hear from, I mean McCaskey and 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 Phillips as well, but even Ryan Pace, we just didn't hear from a lot this season, right? And such a poor job of communicating anything of value to like you know the fans. Even if, you know, if you're bringing back Pace and Nagy, the fans want to hear, all right, here's here's why and here's what they're planning to do differently. Here's here's why it's going to be successful. And all we got was like, well, they're good people and they work together really well. And so we trust that if they're working together, they're going to make the right decisions, even though they've been working together for the last three years and have not had Enough. That they admit that the bears have not been good enough for the last three years, and then they say the reason why we think things are going to be better is because we trust these two guys working together when they've been working together for the last three years and it hasn't been good enough. So, like, it's there's a there's a circle of reasoning here that doesn't yeah. lead to any improvement. Yeah,
1: it, it was it was maddening to listen to. That's why I say that you know, lucky the equipment that I use to work with uh, isn't mine because uh, it would be in pieces all over my apartment if it was. It just because that's how maddening it was to listen to for them to, to just. To basically circle jerk the press right there, you know, (laughs) and God knows how many people like me and you were listening uh, as well, you know, just interested, you know, fans uh, and everything waiting for. And I think it was Dan Pompey that tweeted out today, an hour into the Bears uh, press conference, still waiting to learn something, dot, 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 anything. And that's what that that's what listening to that press conference was you know and then like when you said Nagy saying well we can talk all day about quarterback evaluations i wish somebody would have said but like you know man i don't have anywhere else to be man so (laughs) go ahead dazzle me with quarterback evaluations because this is one of the main reasons why the bears have been where they are the last three seasons i mean imagine what we could have been with watson or mahomes in 2018 as our quarterback when we got the guy for free back in 2017 uh, you know and what we could have done these last two years where we've been kind of build around Mitch and how he struggled and you know all that kind of stuff what the outlook of the team would be like had we made the proper evaluations years ago what are we looking not to do and you know they just kept giving these you know these lobbing answers that nobody wants to hear
2: I understand that they don't want to give away state secrets and tell you all of their plans and their ideas, but there's certainly a middle ground there. There that, is, and, and they I thought, skirted around it, man. Yeah, I thought, I thought, man, Nagy did such a good job of that middle ground. Like we talked about earlier, like early on in his Bears tenure, he, he found great ways to, like, explain the game or explain decision-making and, and processes that enlightened you and at least gave you more information without telling you everything and without providing or eliminating their competitive advantage. And Ryan Pace and Nagy have both completely got away from it. Like there's a way for them to talk about, all right, you know, we're going to prioritize the quarterback position this off season. And these are the traits we're going to be looking for in our next quarterback. I mean, they did some of that when they were getting ready to draft Mitch, they talked about the, the, quarter, the things they look for in the quarterback and the process they were going to go through to identify that quarterback through the draft. And so you'd think it would be easy enough to kind of come back now and say, all right, here's what we did then, and here are a couple things we're going to do differently. We're not going to tell you our entire scouting process and who we're going to visit and who we're not going to visit and all that stuff, but here's some specific things that, you know what, back then – we didn't meet with Deshaun Watson in person, and we should have. Or, you know, whatever thing it might be, yeah. to them, say, we're gonna we're gonna handle it this way. We're gonna watch film differently. We're going to hold our meetings differently to avoid, you know, groupthink and some of these, you know, cognitive biases. I mean, anything you can just you can almost make up something just to appease us, give us some kind of breadcrumb, and, and we'll be happy.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if like you mentioned, you know, we'll we're, we're we're gonna make sure that we interview everybody like hey we're even going to have, have a visit with fucking trevor lawrence even though we have no no <laughs> snowballs chance in hell of ever you know landing this kid but we're going to meet with everybody to just in case we learn something from him about what we want to see or what we don't want to see and any other candidates that might be sitting at 20 when it's our turn to pick a pick a football player
2: and it, it's like you can do all of that and not give away your plans or your yes secrets. It's, yeah you know, like, I think they, all, they think everything is a potential competitive advantage. And clearly over the last two seasons, they haven't had much advantage from a competitive standpoint. I mean, right. it, hasn't, it hasn't earned them all these extra wins. It's not like a Patriots thing where it's like you got to keep the Patriots way secret because they get 12 wins every year and you feel like you, know, you don't want to give away the secret sauce. Like The Bears have not mastered this process, so right. I, I don't know that they have all that much to hide.
1: And that's what kind of makes it laughable that you know the, the secrets that you're protecting the ones that you know make you lucky to be eight and eight the last two seasons i mean last year it was a a last second win over minnesota's jv squad that we became an eight and eight team and and then this year it was we were lucky enough to have the vikings the texans and the jaguars back to back to back to get us eight wins so that we could you know kind of back our way into the playoffs and a seventh playoff team being added to the conference is literally the only reason why we were a playoff team this year.
2: And it just comes back to that same idea of like process versus results. Right. I mean, like if, if not for the Arizona Cardinals getting injured and, and really blowing it down the stretch, the bears yeah. are not in the laps here. And I think it's a different perspective, per, perception of Matt Nagy. Like it's, it's, are they going about things, you know, irrespective of how things resulted Have they gone about it in the right way? Have they taken the right steps that at the time seems like these are the right steps, you know, without hindsight? And I I think there's some real questions there as far as, you know, how they selected Mitch Trubisky and, and some of the decisions of how the offensive line combinations came together and how they changed the scheme and how they selected Nick Foles. I mean, there's a lot of these decisions that in the moment we can say i don't know if this is the right idea it's not like man everything seems so smart and they just it just didn't work out and you know they, they seem to be incredulous about well we got to figure out what went wrong this season we got to take some time and figure out our problems like they they can't they can't figure that out they can't assess their own problems on the fly i mean we hear that all the time it's like we're going to figure out what's wrong and we're going to fix it and it's like we're all sitting at home feeling like we know what's wrong
1: yeah yeah and and you know every time that they say something like that and be like i can tell you how to fix it and it's it seems pretty obvious to me. Well, I mean, it just it, it goes back to, and I haven't had a chance to talk to you since then, um, but it was the, the Detroit Lions game, probably the most frustrating loss that we've had this year because, um, and, and it was just like I had my feelings about it because just watching the game in, in the very beginning, it was obvious David Montgomery was running on a different gear
2: that day. You know, save this for when we get to the Lions game as we go through the the week by week schedule here.
1: Okay, well, let's just jump into it. I think we spent enough time with the press (laughs) conference. Okay, the last time that we had a chance, we were sitting back, holding back the vomit, talking about the week 10 loss to Minnesota going into the bye and the possibility of Mitch Trubisky coming back and the possibility of the, you know, the royal drubbing that we were going to get on Sunday night football from the Packers. Like if that team that played Monday night against the Minnesota shows up in Lambeau, it's going to be hundred to nothing at halftime. Like you and I were just absolutely sick over what could happen in this football game, and we got pretty close to it actually. Even though we did see some good things from the offense with Mitch in charge, we did see like a rejuvenated run game. Uh, the fact that Rashad Coward was not on the field for that game, I was overjoyed. Like I almost had tears. <laughs> streaming down my face when I saw the starting lineup for the for the offensive line and Rashad Coward wasn't on it so I was beside myself with happiness for that reason alone
2: and that was one of the things uh Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy kind of snuck in one of their answers at the press conference I don't remember the exact question it was just kind of generally you know the offensive line moving forward you know with some of the progress that they made this season like Ryan Pace said like, I don't, he didn't say specifically what time of year, but basically they realized during the season that this offensive line combinations were not working. And so Pace said he and Matt Nagy sat down and started drawing up on the whiteboard a bunch of different offensive line combinations to try and find the right one and ultimately settled on the one that they tried it out against Green Bay and, and stuck with essentially for the rest of the season. And, like, is, is Ryan Pace involved in setting the starting lineup for the offensive line. I mean, I guess that, that just surprised me that like, I mean, I'm sure the offensive line coach was also in that meeting, but it just kind of felt like it was like, well, there's a 50-50 shot of, of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy both identifying, you know, who, your opinion on this and his opinion on that. And and then you decide the offensive line combination based on that. It just, it just seemed weirdly hands-on for Ryan Pace on the offensive line. And again, another example of it, it feeling like this coaching staff struggles to, properly identify and maximize the talent that it has in its own building, let alone finding players outside of the organization. But like we felt like this Bears defense wasn't always putting guys in the best position to be successful. They tried a thousand different offensive line combinations that couldn't find the right position fits for different guys. Of course, trying to put Mitch Trubisky in the best position to be successful was a struggle for four damn years. Mm
1: -hmm. And well, I mean, and that's what was kind of that's one of the things that I was talking about. Uh, in relation to the Bears-Packers rivalry, is that there have been many, many times where I felt like the Bears had the far more talented team, but the Packers have always been better at maximizing the talent that they have on their team and always putting these guys in the right position uh, to succeed. Which is which became like a theme for the Bears throughout the year: is Nagy or Laser or you know Pagano or whatever not putting their guys in the best position to succeed much you know rather than just telling them to do what was called uh kind of thing and then you know to go back a little bit to the rams game where it came out that nick Foles told brian greasy that i know in the huddle whether or not a play is going to work based on what's been called you know because we want he wants a seven step drop he wants a guy running 40 yards down the field i know i don't have time to make that throw i know before the ball's even snapped I don't have time to make that throw. And he made that to a guy that's going to be in the booth on Monday night sharing that with the rest of the world.
2: And maybe that was the first sign of the culture thing that Mitch Trubisky was talking about. You know what I mean? Like, it's another example of that same thing of, like, players kind of slipping it out there that maybe Matt Nagy doesn't have, I don't want to say doesn't have complete control of the locker room. And it's not that he doesn't know what he's doing, but maybe Matt Nagy isn't always right. I mean, I don't know. I struggle with the exact wording here because we know yeah, he's not yeah. always right. But, like, maybe maybe Matt Nagy doesn't have the perfect grasp of this maybe there are some bigger issues here with how the head coach is running his team i mean obviously he has the respect of the locker room and saw them through the adversity and guys didn't quit and all that good stuff but the, the fact that there seems to be some disconnect here particularly at the quarterback position with the guy you brought in specifically for his work with quarterbacks is a pretty big red flag
1: yeah and and you know you you're talking there a minute ago about the about Pace and Nagy collaborating, there's that word again, uh, over the offensive line combinations and things like that. And and I kind of get the feeling, and this might be completely off base, um, but I, I kind of get the feeling that Nagy doesn't really listen to anybody, but Ryan Pace. Otherwise, why would Ryan Pace be in that meeting? You know, Ryan. I don't think Ryan Pace should be in there making football decisions. He's a scout, not a coach or or anything. Like that, I mean, I, everybody was is a former player. He played in college and things like that. Okay, congratulations. But if I'm not, not mistaken, he was a defensive lineman, not an offensive lineman. <laughs> and you know, so again, not really sure why he's in that room making those decisions, uh, and everything. You know, and, and it's just. Like I kind of get the feeling like maybe what's made other coaches successful and things like that is that they're listening to their assistants, the guy that coaches these guys every single day and is in meetings and knows what these guys know how to do and everything about what part of the offense or what plays work best for them as opposed to just ranking the players and be like, okay, I want these three guys out there, but wait, receiver number four is better than number two on this particular play, so he should be out. No, 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 no. He's our number two receiver, so he's going to be the one that's out there, and that's all there is to it. I feel like there may be some of that going on, and Nagy isn't listening to his coaches. He's just on that whole the scheme is going to work, and here's who I want out there running it.
2: And it just feels like that conflicts with, and I agree with you, but I'm like, but from Nagy's perspective, like when he talks all the time about, you know, there's no egos on this team, you know, there's no egos in any of these decisions. But it's like, maybe that's not ego, but it is a certain hierarchy of, you know, he, he's not he's not picking Ryan Pace because of Ryan Pace's ego. He's not following his decisions because of that, and he's not following Ryan Pace because of Nagy's ego, but, like, clearly, like, Ryan is his boss and has some control over Nagy's employment, and there is some potential dynamics there that aren't directly ego but are maybe not the best dynamics and, and decision-making process for the team to be successful. And maybe you could argue, well, you know, if if Ryan Pace came in and found the right combination and they weren't finding the right combination without him, then maybe that was valuable input and struggling before him. But, like, the fact that we've seen them fire the offensive line coach and bring in the new offensive line coach, and that didn't really fix anything. I mean, injuries were worse this year, but, like, their offensive line... Yeah was not magically fixed by a new coach the way that they sort of promised us or implied that it would be. All offseason, it was, Nagy, what, what makes you confident this offensive line is going to be better next year? Well, Coach Castillo is going to come in and this, this he teaches this way, and, and that didn't really pan out. It took them Ryan Pace collaborating and finding these lineups to even get that right. So then is that is that Matt Nagy struggling to – pick the right coaches, or, or is he not listening to his coaches? I mean, maybe maybe that speaks to your point that he's listening to Ryan Pace on how some of these decisions should be, and guys like Harry Heastan and maybe uh, Juan Castillo are not being ignored for their input, but just their input isn't being taken with as much weight as the general manager who is, I mean, to be fair, their boss. I mean, he is in charge, and he is in charge of all football operations. So, yeah, it, it just feels a little bit dysfunctional in some way.
1: Well, I mean, that was something you and I talked about, you know, at the beginning of the year when we were like, you know, maybe it's a good thing that 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 Helfrich and and he Stand are gone because those were guys that Nagy hadn't worked with before, and it was the you know you and I having the conversation about Nagy maybe being an emotional play caller, like I'm going to call this play and we're going to run it until we get it right, kind of thing, and maybe working with Filippo and. Uh, you know, Laser and Juan Castillo, people that he's worked with before, maybe they would be better at being able to talk him off the ledge and running something else as opposed to trying to run the same play on third and one over and over again until we get it right. How about we run something else instead of what the defense is expecting because this is what we always run on third and one. It's like, I know we suck at running it, so let's run something else. And thinking that maybe, you know, veteran coaches or guys that he was more comfortable with, Uh, would help lead him down that path. And it didn't really look like that was the case. And especially after hearing some of the things we heard today, you know, it's funny that Juan Castillo's name didn't come up when it came to figuring out what best offensive line configuration the Bears could go with.
2: I just keep coming back to some of what Mitch Trubisky said after that game. I think in that same comment about the culture, he talked about, you know, he thought there were some things from a game plan standpoint that they should have done differently. Yeah. yeah. So, like, are the players – getting enough input on there because I remember during the season at the bye week I think Nagy said something along the lines of like we're going to check in with our players and see what they all think as far as different changes we can make to get out of this losing streak and maybe that's the only time they're really getting a strong influence in that regard and that you know if, if Trubisky is frustrated that the players aren't having enough influence I mean you would think the players would have some pretty good idea of how to put themselves in the best position to be successful. Not that they're all experts on which plays they should call every situation, but they they are the ones executing them. And it, they should have, I think, a significant amount of input. And it, it there's evidence to suggest they didn't have enough.
1: Yes. Yes, there definitely is. So, you know, r- briefly going through the games here after the bye week, we, we covered That's up so. those first 10 weeks. You know, we we basically got what we expected from the Green Bay game as far as the outcome. What, what I think was most surprising about that was how poorly the defense played, and it kind of set the tone for basically the second half uh, of the season. And it wasn't that you know Green Bay was doing this quick strike, big play thing against the Bears. They were literally nickel and diming their way down the field, eight plays, fourteen plays, nine plays, twelve plays seven minutes, eight minutes, six minutes, and touchdown every single time that dug the Bears into a hole they couldn't find their way out of in that first game and really kind of, you know, offset the progress that we saw from the offense that day.
2: For me, that game felt so much like and I don't want to say the beginning of the defensive collapse, because I think there were signs of it earlier in the losing streak, but like that was the game where the defense really was and like, I mean, it was an issue before, like, that's where it really felt like, oh, no, we have a like Houston, we have a problem. Like, yeah. like you know, like, like against Tennessee and Minnesota and before the bye week and stuff, you could kind of feel like, well, the defense is still being let down by the offense quite a bit. And yeah. there's a lot of factors like if they had scored more points, then the defense wouldn't have been on the field so much. And you can you know, it was some of the same defensive things we had talked about in 2019, where it was just like how much of it is them struggling versus them just getting no support from their offense. But like. Green Bay, there was a certain vulnerability there that was just uncommon from any of this Bears defense that we've seen in recent seasons. I mean, it felt more like Mel Tucker defensive performance with yeah. a, a lot better players. And you know that was even before we saw the really major injuries. I mean, Jalen Johnson was still playing. I think that was the game Buster Screen may have gotten hurt in. I don't remember for sure, but like that was one of the healthier defensive lineups we saw over the course of the final half of the season. And they were just completely outmatched. I mean, Aaron Rodgers outcoached, well, I mean, the Packers outcoached Chuck Pagano, Aaron Rodgers outschemed this Bears defense and just seemed to always know what they were doing and stay one step ahead. I mean, that, that was when the concerns about Chuck Pagano, I think, that's the difference for me. Is like early in the season, we knew this defense was missing Eddie Goldman. There were some injuries and maybe they weren't as talented as previous years. But against the Packers, it was like, okay, now they're not being coached well enough either. And that's... That's where the fire Chuck Pagano train started really picking up steam.
1: Yeah, and it, it kind of got washed over a little bit because of the absence of Akeem Hicks. He he wasn't back from the hamstring yeah. Yeah. injury yet in that game, and that's where everyone was like, "Well, if Akeem Hicks was in the game, then probably the, the Packers wouldn't have been able to run the ball the way that they did." And that's you know how they, they earned a lot of their money in that game uh, against the Bears. But that's also the game where Tony Dungy's like, after the Packers went up forty-one to ten, he's like, "These guys have quit." They're not yep. they're not playing like with the same effort, the same fire that you're used to seeing out of a Chicago Bear uh, defense. And of course, they wanted. you know, the players each each to their own wanted to deny that wholeheartedly afterwards. But you couldn't argue with the effort we were seeing on the field. The Packers scored 41 points before we were even like halfway through the third quarter. It's 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 hard to, to, to convince me that there wasn't some kind of quit out there on the field when the Packers made it look as easy as they did.
2: 100%. And uh, I think it, it speaks to some of the Chuck Pagano things again. I mean, exactly right there. It was, it, it, it added the questions about Eddie Jackson and his performance this season. And, and <sighs> just, just how valuable Akeem Hicks is compared to, like, Khalil Mack. I mean, I think you could make the argument that Khalil Mack, I think, is, is clearly still the better player, but sure. in terms of, like, more valuable to this Bears defense. Yeah, it's a key across the board. It's a key, I mean, especially with Eddie Goldman out. I mean, maybe if Goldman's back in there, you can there's some a different argument to be made there. But from a, a leadership, from a energy standpoint, I mean he Akeem Hicks is the identity of this Bears defense. He is the leader, the guy they need out there on the field to really play at their best. Whereas Cleo Mack is is a dominant individual performer that doesn't add quite that same dynamic to the rest of the team.
1: Yeah. And um you know, it was it was really like we were missing the heart of our defense in that game uh, yeah. for sure because you didn't have that emotional fire plug that Akeem Hicks uh, is out on the field. You see him make a play early on in the game, and he's all fired up, and the guys are, you know, running to him and, and things like that. We really missed that in that first game uh, against the Packers. I mean, we saw the impact Akeem Hicks has on this defense in the Minnesota game where he went down three quarters of football. And, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook, who, you know, broke scoreboards as far as putting rushing yards on on the on the board this year, like 14 carries for 32 yards before Akeem Hicks got hurt, finished the game with 96 yards. You know, he got over 60 yards rushing on like seven or eight attempts after Akeem Hicks went down. That's the value of Akeem Hicks on the
2: defense. 100 percent and it, it just it really goes to show how much was missing against the Packers and, and going back through that game as you were talking I noticed and kind of re-remembered that you know there was a Trubisky interception early in that game at the yep. goal line that took some points off the board and then uh, I believe a fumble recovery brought back all the way for a touchdown that gave Packers free seven points in that game I mean there so much so much went wrong in both sides of the ball I mean that was yeah the perfect bears post-bye week game.
1: Well, what was funny was that it, it, it one of those interceptions happened because Mitch did exactly what he said he wasn't going to do. He said he wasn't going to play hero ball. And that one where he threw a pass to I want to say Mooney, you could see before he throws the ball all three defensive backs converging on Darnell Mooney and he threw it to them anyway. And <laughs> You know, it's a three-on-one, and Mooney, God bless him, for all the effort and heart that kid has. He weighs 178 pounds, soaking wet. He's the smallest guy on the field pretty much every single snap of his career. Oh, there's only no way.
2: insert. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but there's no way he's going to win a jump ball against three defensive backs in that, you know, when, when, when two of them are Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos, you're not going to win that battle, you know. And uh, you know, not even DeAndre Hopkins would have a hard time winning that one. It and he threw the ball anyway when he said he wasn't going to. And it's like, okay, well that's Mitch, and that's what he does. So here we go. And then fast forward to a week later against the Lions, and we get a much improved Mitch. And this is we'll get where we'll get to David Montgomery because I said, you know, I do my knee jerk reactions after every quarter, and after the first quarter, I said, it's obvious. David Montgomery is running on a different gear today. We need to stop taking him off the field and keep giving him the ball cuz he's just every time he touches the ball he's getting at least 6 yards. He's it's the second or third guy that can bring him down. It's never the first one. Even if he catches something out of the backfield, he's making the first guy pay. Keep feeding David Montgomery. And it's like but the the, the caveat was Cordell Patterson had a really great day running the football that day as well. It's just like I've got no issue with what Patterson is giving us, but he's not on Montgomery's level today. Keep giving the ball to Montgomery, and they wouldn't do it. And that's what was making me nuts after that game.
2: Yeah, eventually they they got to it. I mean, when they started eventually, playing the first yeah. But like for me, that that even started against Green Bay because it was what. Uh, the the second drive, second drive of the game or first drive of the game when David Montgomery breaks away for 57 yards, third yeah. play of the game or second second play of the offense, first drive of the game, 57 yard run breaks away in that game, and then like by the third quarter the Bears aren't even giving it to him, and I realize they fell behind on the scoreboard. Or there's some other factors there, but like it felt like for both of those games, and, and even as they were trying to transition to Bill Lazor, like they still weren't sticking with the David Montgomery and the offensive identity that they were so trying to establish. Like it was yeah. like, they had to be like forced into it. Like they were resisting so hard, even though like Montgomery was making it obvious to oh, all God. of us. And, like,
1: and you know what? And that was the other thing I wanted to bring up was that, you know, I had one way of feeling about it after, after the game, after I, I did my, my bear up and bear down. show, which is basically like my, my trophy award. Uh, each week I did a, you know, a bear up and bear down. Here's the guys that played well. Here's the guys that we didn't. And then on Monday, I'm sitting here in, you know, at my workstation. I'm doing my, my job, and I'm listening to your podcast. I'm listening to Hogan Johns. I'm watching uh, the post game show with Olin Krutz and Alex Brown and all of those guys. And every single one of us, Lauren, every single one of us was like, why didn't we give the ball to David Montgomery? Why was Mitch throwing the ball on third down at the end of the game that caused the fumble recovery that lost us the football game? Everybody, from me, the fat guy on the couch, all the way up to the former All-Pro, wondering the same thing. And it's like, if it's so obvious to us, how is it that Nagy, the guy who spends more time with these guys than anybody in the world, he can't see it? That's what was 10 times more frustrating than actually watching it take place on Sunday was everybody from the, you know, from the guy who's played the game, who's got skin in the game, the whole nine yards, all the way down to me, just the guy on the couch watching the game, a devoted fan, all of us thinking in the same spot is what made me the
2: most nuts after that. Even the next game against the Texans, mm-hmm. first play, 80-yard touchdown <laughs> for David Montgomery. He has 10 more carries In the entire game, in a blowout, when you just need to run the ball and kill the clock. Yep. Montgomery had 11 carries, Patterson had six, and Mitch Trubisky threw 33 times in a game (laughs) that you won 36 to seven. I mean, you had 30 points in the first half. Like, the ultimate game to just hand it off to David Montgomery. 30 times just run the ball over and over again the texans aren't doing anything to stop you they're not going to do anything offensively that's really going to threaten you for the course of this game i mean i realized that you know you, you're you're thin on running back depth so you don't want to get montgomery hit too much but then i don't know give the ball to ryan nall or keep going to cordell patterson i mean just stick with the running game in any way shape or form or they, the
1: biggest wasted transaction of the year lamar miller yeah I mean, talk about a waste of time for everybody involved. I mean, when when I heard that we signed him to the practice squad, I was excited. I knew it'd probably be a few weeks before we saw him out there. But literally, the only game Lamar Miller played in was the one game David Montgomery didn't. And yeah, then that he was spent. The Vikings, he's, right. Yeah, it was the Vikings game on Monday night, and it was the only game where he got like one carry and one catch, and that is the statistical completion for Lamar Miller. Before he spends like another five weeks on the practice squad and gets signed on to the main roster uh, by Washington. And that's the last we hear of Lamar Miller. It's like, what a complete waste. And we're out there shoving Artavis Pierce and Ryan Nall uh, hey. down our throat when we have a, f- a, f- a Pro Bowler on our practice squad not using him. I was like, what the hell's going
2: on here? You wonder if, you know, he wasn't completely healthy i mean if he was able to play against the vikings then he should have been able to play in any of those remaining games i mean once he gets that points he gets on the field there's kind of no excuse but like i you know i was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt early on just that he was recovering from i don't remember if it was an acl injury the year before i believe it was yeah really serious lower body injury that are, are hard for running backs to recover from but like if he was healthy enough to take two carries against the Vikings in that game, he was healthy enough to remain a part of that backfield. And maybe, maybe it says something that you know Washington signed him and never used him in a game. Yeah, one. that's true that, too. Maybe that means he wasn't, for whatever reason, ready to go, or maybe he re-injured or re-aggravated something that we just didn't really ever get to hear about because he wasn't active on the roster. But regardless of even like obviously Lamar Miller, a talented player, but like the fact that you mentioned there Artavis Pierce and Ryan Null is what we kept getting over and over again. And there are plenty of running backs out there. And I understand you want to kind of see what some of your young guys can do. But we know what Ryan Nall is and isn't at this point. And, you know, eventually they brought on the former chief. Was it Spencer Ware? Yeah. was part of the practice squad late in the season. I mean, I would like to see somebody like that with some real NFL experience that has made big plays in this chief's offense. But other running backs were available on the market. I don't have a list in front of me, but I remember looking at it like they could have gotten – and or multiple experienced running backs into this organization. And they chose to go with Artavis Pierce and Ryan Nall again, feeling like they don't know how to properly identify, evaluate and utilize the talent that they have. And
1: you're right. And, and it's it does kind of speak to a larger problem um, that, uh, you know, it, it, it always seems like the guys aren't being put in the right position or it's like they have no like they had no sense for sticking with the guy that's got the hot hand. It was more about switching these guys out because that was the next play in the script or this is what they wanted to do with the game plan as opposed to, you know, realizing what kind of streak David Montgomery is on, that he is somebody that we need to get behind uh, today. And sadly, that Lions game, it's 72 yards on 17, uh, you know, 17 carries, which is good for four, four yards per carry. And then, you know, same thing with the, with the Texans uh game it's it just it almost seems like maybe his stats were a bit overinflated because of the 80 yard run but even without that 80 yards it's you know 30 something yards on three so a little over three yards uh per carry for the rest of the game but it just seemed kind of pointless to for a guy that started a a football game in as big a way as as somebody can to barely use him for the rest of the football game was just nonsense i mean he only caught four passes in that game as well
2: you wonder if it's Like more of the same what we were talking about with the offensive line and the position coaches maybe not being listened to. Like You would think the running backs coach, Charles London, would be a a strong advocate for sticking with David Montgomery, continuing to get those carries, and and the whole idea of the hot hand and and being able to run and and roll with that. And especially, too, given that he had coached Lamar Miller in Houston, and he would know better than anybody when and how much Lamar Miller should be used, and he still wasn't ultimately used. I mean, I I feel like... I can't, I mean, we don't know for sure, but I feel like it kind of hovers around the same discussion of like, well, are these assistant coaches being listened to, or yeah. maybe they're being listened to, but is their input really being considered strongly enough, or, or is it being used at all? Or is every time Matt Nagy saying, tell me what you think. Uh, well, I'm going to go with what I think because of other reasons.
1: Yeah. And, and Olin Crews made a really great comment um, during the post game of the Lions game where he, he and, and it was just something that kind of hit home at the time because of the emotions I was feeling after that game. It, says, it just seems like Matt Nagy so much, isn't so much concerned about winning as he is winning his way. And that's why on that last drive where Mitch got strip-sacked and gave the football game to the Lions, essentially, that uh, we're passing instead of running the football when we've still got uh, a lead in this game we want the lions to burn their timeouts and then kick the ball deep and have them try to score uh you know a long lengthy drive as opposed to gifting them the possibility of having a 7 yard drive to win the game
2: and how many three and outs do we end up seeing in those situations that just don't take time off don't take much time at all off of the clock i mean you you're 100% right you get i believe there was kind of like a late sack at one point on one of those plays and Uh, uh, The fumble, of course, by Mitch Trubisky also – I mean, I think there were multiple times that they got to the quarterback in some of those plays, which I guess keeps the clock running, but it kind of eliminates the whole purpose of, like, sticking with that running game and having that success that they had had. And I I think you're 100% right that it's – there's a certain stubbornness there. There's a certain – I don't know exactly what to call it besides stubbornness because I don't know that it's quite – I don't know if ego. They keep saying no egos, no egos, no egos. But like, yeah, and I
1: think ignorant is too harsh. I, I don't think it's yeah. ignorance or anything like smartest that. It, in it's room kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's one of my favorite things to call Nagy. Is like, you know, it just seems like he's more interested in being the smartest guy in the room and catching the defense with its pants down, as opposed to just lining his guys up and going after it you know he always has to try to scheme a way where you know somebody's going to be so wide open it's ridiculous that you missed him uh, or anything like that as opposed to just running his
2: offense to the best
1: of its ability
2: it's like he just gets stuck in his ways yeah. it's 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 like this is how he thinks things are supposed to be best done and he sees you know from a scheme standpoint like you said like it's they scheme up players and he sees like it works like and he's he's not wrong that like Matt Nagy's offense works if everybody does their job, but like, so does every offense in the NFL yeah. and event you kind of have to look at it and say, all right, our team is not good enough at these positions to execute what you want to execute, even if it works and it's smart play calling or whatever, you know, however it looks on paper and stuff you have to adjust and you have to kind of figure out what does work. And again, the inability to properly identify your players talent and, and put them in the best positions to be successful makes that
1: The wait is finally over and the NBA is back. Football is in full swing with the playoffs and BetOnline knows you might not be able to get out to a game this year, but you can still get in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code Armchair to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. <coughs> and and you mentioned you know when we talked about the first Packers game, that's where you kind of got the uh oh about the defense. Mm-hmm. For me, it was it was the week after against the Lions because not only did they score thirty-four points against us without Kenny Galladay and basically any of their top wide receivers. Uh, in that ball game, but we finally gave our defense a lead to protect, and they blew it. So, I mean, even before the strip sack, put you know, dug them a deep hole. I mean, there's only so much, you know, hell you can give them for that. But this was also the defense that allowed a ninety-something yard drive for Stafford and company to get within, you know, the three or four points that they ended up winning. Uh, but I think it was a field goal game or something at that point. Um, and then when they scored, they went up 34 to 30. So it's just, you know, that's for me where my concerns um, uh, started with the defense, like the true concerns, like Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, they do that to everybody. So it sucked watching it happen to us, but you know, we didn't have a Hicks. We were coming off to buy. Matt Nagy sucks off to buy. So you got what you got. Uh, but for us to have, you know, a full week of preparation. Akeem Hicks is back, and you know we still have a healthy defensive backfield. And I think that was the game Buster Screen got hurt in. Yeah, I think you're um, right. And you know, it's like so we're as healthy as we've been all year with Akeem Hicks back, and yet the 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 Lions, the short-handed Lions, who had just who were playing their first game without their head coach, by the way, um, <laughs> just you know overran our defense somehow. And, and you know, we lost that football game. It's just like, you know, if, if I wasn't so pissed off about the whole David Montgomery thing and everybody else noticing it and Nagy couldn't, the defense probably would have been the storyline of that game.
2: Yeah, to some extent, like, it felt like we were building up toward that collapse, like, you know, this this dam of the defense has yeah these little holes and these leaks popping out of it, and, like, they were holding on and holding on, and we knew, like, eventually it was going to burst, right? I mean, like, and that's not to excuse it and say, well, it's okay and it's acceptable or whatever. But, like, to some extent, it was it, – It was. perhaps they were more due for that than we yeah. anticipate. But I, I still come back to the Chuck Pagano criticisms and feeling like this Bears defense wasn't – I don't know if they weren't prepared or just – they were out coached by Daryl Bevel, that, that the Lions with the new coaching – I guess not staff, but the new – leader at the front was changed some things up for them offensively that they were able to stay ahead of what the bears were prepared for defensively like they just it feels like they're underprepared and unable to adapt to when the offense does things that they weren't prepared for which seems to happen far too often and and why I think a defensive coordinator change was necessary at some point this offseason because they just they were never they were never one step ahead of the offense they were always the ones trying to kind of figure it out on the fly, and you saw how vulnerable they could be as a result.
1: Yeah, and then the Texans game, which was like our get-back game for the defense, they are like, man, these guys were everywhere. Seven sacks on Deshaun Watson, who's one of the more, you know, elusive guys uh, in the pocket, and we got, we got back-to-back sacks and a safety on one drive and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. We looked fantastic defensively in that game later because early on they kind of it was just like, okay, here we go again. It's going to be a shootout between Mitch and 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 Watson because they're both just going to march up and down the field on these defenses who are playing like crap right now. And instead, it was the defense that kind of that finally buckled down and shut Watson down. So Mitch has his Mitch versus Watson bragging rights for their one matchup and uh, everything completely meaningless as far as the stakes involved and uh, and everything. And the, you know the Texans weren't putting their best foot forward. Uh, that day, and and uh, you know, it was pretty obvious that we were the you know the superior team by a lot going in that one, which I think speaks more to how bad things were in Houston as opposed to how good we were that day.
2: oh Oh, one hundred percent. It was. I mean, we knew Deshaun Watson was going to be able to make some things happen by yeah. himself. I mean, he wasn't going to let himself get completely trampled. Although they they did end up that way, but like th- there was so little talent around him in that game. We kind of knew. That if they had some success, it was not going to be sustainable. They just, I mean, he was throwing to Stephen Mitchell and Chad Hansen. Yeah, it's like one of his
1: there. receivers was delivering pizza like the week before, or something like that, before yeah. they pulled him onto the practice squad <laughs> right. or something. Yeah, you know, but it was crazy. Yeah, what, 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 the, I mean, what he had to work with that day.
2: The Texans were not all that inter- I mean, I don't want to say they weren't interested in winning that game, but like they weren't. They didn't really have a shot there. It was hard to put too much stock in anything that was going to happen in that game. Although it was, again, a a big David Montgomery run to start more evidence that they should keep sticking with that. And it it was important for them to obviously get back in the win column and and kind of take that monkey off of their back from the losing streak and build some confidence back to remind them that, hey, you are better than the worst teams in the NFL.
1: Yeah. And then funny, that's where the playoff talk began. Because after losing six games in a row and beating a team that, you know, me and you and nine of our closest friends probably could have given a hell of a game to (laughs) that day. uh, All of a sudden, we're only one game out of the playoffs behind Minnesota, behind Arizona. And it's like it was more of a surprise than something was like, yeah, go for it, guys. You know, it's like you and I have always kind of fallen on. I would rather see my team win than lose to hell with draft position and all that nonsense that will work itself out. Uh, in the off season, but I didn't. I wasn't thinking playoffs after we beat Houston. Is like I don't know if I want to see this team in the playoffs, and you know. But that's where the discussion began. Even though a week earlier we were all shocked that Nagy and Pace and the whole lot of them weren't
2: fired on Monday. Oh yeah, I mean it was. It was definitely kind of. Uh, it was a weird dynamic there, right? I mean, it was it was a weird situation as far as like how to, how to best broach, you know, that you want to be confident and you want to kind of set your sights high, but you don't necessarily want to, you know, you, you, it was tough. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was It was just, a, it was a weird, I, I don't have a good explanation for it. I mean, it was just a, it was a weird spot of like, all right, go for it. And, and you might as well see where you can go, but understand that this is not a, yeah. Really good football team. I mean, yeah, it's, this it's, isn't a playoff-ready squad. and no. the Vikings you know, showed you that maybe they were, yeah, in the mix, but they were never going to be a Super Bowl contending team.
1: Right, and the what what happened in the Vikings game felt like vindication to me, uh just for me personally, because because they ran the ball. Well, yeah, because they ran the ball, and not only because they ran the ball. But even though Montgomery had, like, 85 carries in that game, he still averaged more than four yards a carry. So it wasn't like, you know, like poor Jordan Howard, you know, when, when we had him those last two years. We ran the ball 21 times for 24 yards and things like that. Montgomery had 36 carries for, like, 146 yards. was averaged out to, like, 4.6 yards a carry or, or whatever it was. He outgunned Dalvin Cook that day.
2: And – give a lot of credit to the Bears' offensive line in that. You know, I mean, that was... Oh, they were savage that
1: that day, man. They were outstanding against the Vikings. Sure.
2: Like, that was where we really started to feel a lot more of that confidence in them. That, you know, okay, they did it against the Texans, fine. It was not a good Texans defense. But the Vikings were at least a playoff contending defense. One that was not great, but you felt like this offensive line combination, they may have found something there. Like for the first couple of games, there was a, a learning curve of like, all right, if Eddie's getting used to right guard and Alex bars has been flipping back and forth, you got a new center in there. I mean, there's, there's some growing pains that come along with that, but now you feel like not only is David Montgomery playing some of the best football of his career, but the offensive line is protecting Mitch Trubisky better. They're getting holes going in the running game and, and they can be that physical, you know, dominant up front type team that they started to want that identity to be. Like, that was where the Bears' offensive identity finally hit them in the face to where they just couldn't deny it and avoid it anymore.
1: Right, yeah. And um, that last touchdown run from Montgomery, um, I think Cody Whitehair paralyzed somebody from the neck down. He buried him into the ground so, so hard.
2: I mean, yeah. Just yeah,
1: it was insane. Rough. I mean, but everybody made a solid, like, amazing block on that one. Cody Whitehair is the one that always kind of sticks out because he got underneath the guy's armpit and basically just kept shoving until he had shoved his face into the ground. It was amazing. As a former offensive lineman myself, that that's one of those plays that makes you moist, man. It's like, ooh, ooh, that was so sweet. I got to watch that one again. It's just like that's that's how you do it right there, fellas. So it was a beautiful block from Cody. and. You know, like I said, Montgomery was running like a savage. It was more like the defensive backs were catching Montgomery as opposed to trying to make a hit to slow him down. I mean, he was he was on fire that day. And
2: just more signs of like, where was this all season? You know, how far can they keep going off of this? And and why haven't they been able to? Put him and find not only find this offensive line combination and put Cody Whitehair in a great spot there to be successful, but then stick with David Montgomery. Like, why does it take twelve weeks for this offense or however?
1: And not only that, Lauren, it wasn't so much that it took twelve weeks, thirteen weeks. It took Cordell Patterson tweaking his knee before halftime to make it. They're like, well, I guess we have to stick with Montgomery because Patterson is hurt. And then Montgomery made them look like geniuses for finally doing that. But it's like not only did we have to beat Montgomery over their head for 12 weeks, but we also had to lose our second best option out of the backfield for, you know, for a minor injury. But it's like he was still out there returning kicks, but he didn't run the ball again pretty much for the rest of the season. After he had that little knee tweak uh, before halftime of that game, Montgomery became the primary ball carrier, and he was outstanding for the rest of that football game.
2: And instead, we end up seeing more Ryan Nall down yeah. the stretch. I mean, they get Artavis Pierce in there too, which is exciting later on. But Ugh, third and
1: two on Sunday, man! I, I, I
2: oh. shotgun third and two. Oh. Op, Ryan Nall runs into a pile. <laughs> God, yeah, the exact play I was thinking of.
1: Oh man, <laughs> just ooh. And then you know, quickly the, the you know the Jaguars game. That's one where we pulled away we had our most productive third quarter of the season where we literally doubled our offensive output for the third quarter because we had three touchdowns in 11 games or 12 games whatever it was going into that and then scored three touchdowns in that third quarter so we like literally doubled the amount of points we've scored in the third quarter all season long to to pull it away and you know kind of bring reality to the forefront but 13 to 10 at halftime And we were lucky to have that kind of really made you like, what the hell's going on here? Are we going to really lose this game against the Jaguars? And Mike freaking Glennon.
2: (laughs) Of all quarterbacks. Of
1: all quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, same. it was like the same kind of feeling early on in that Houston game. Like, even the one-win or two-win teams that the Bears are playing, they still can't completely dominate for a full four quarters. Like, at least they learned how to finish a blowout and, like, keep the foot on the gas and pull away in the third quarter and really like dominate a team by the end. But again, defensive coaching, defensive effort, uh, you know, trying to stop Mike, Mike Glennon should not have been able to put up 10 points in that first half. I mean, no. it, I mean it, they have some talented skill position players, but that was not a high quality Jaguars offense by in any way, shape or form with the, without its top running back. I mean, some of that was inexcusable there, even in a, which all gets kind of covered up by how big of a blowout win that ended up being. Mm-hmm. Plus you had a Mitch Trubisky bad interception in the first half oh, of that kind of it in yeah. the end zone. I mean, it just it, it, signs of where this team really did stand, even in a blowout with these large blemishes on the resume.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, and Mitch kind of made it a daily double because he did it the week before against Minnesota in a much more high stakes situation. Mm-hmm. You know, if he just hangs on to that ball or takes the sack or even throws it 85 rows into the backfield, <laughs> um, you know, we put Cairo Santos out there. We kick the field goal. It's, you know, 33 to – or actually like 36 to 27, I think. But, no, it would have been 33 because it was 30 to 27 when he throws that interception. And we've given the momentum and everything and the football back to the Vikings in a situation where they they stopped us in the red zone. Where You know, they finally stopped us. And we give the ball back to them, and thank God the defense stepped up and got the ball back uh, for us, you know, even though they ended up giving up 190 yards or whatever it was to Dalvin Cook in that game and, uh, and everything. They stepped up when it counted in that one, and they bailed Mitch out. Same thing in, in the Jacksonville game, two plays after Mitch throws that stupid-ass interception in the in – the, dude, there were like nine people in the end zone, six of them were Jaguars, and he threw it anyway. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> come on Mitch you know you can't do this stuff man and then two plays later Roquan bails him out by intercepting the ball and and then the Jaguars decide to play you know two rushing nine dropping back so we get the easiest first down in the history of football that made a 50-yard field goal a 40-yard field goal to make it 13 to 10 before halftime
2: because if they if they hadn't if they'd been tied heading into halftime I mean how <laughs> it's- how I mean, it's just how bad does that look, right? Yeah, just the worst. Even even as the narrative kind of continued of the Trubisky redemption tour and the improvement, there were uh, plenty of the same old Mitch moments in there, and I think generally speaks to it it still being the same Mitch Trubisky, even as the offense had some more success around him. It kind of revealed that those flaws do still exist and that he was still reliant on the defense, and when the defense was able to kind of get its act together – they could kind of hold up and win some of those games, but we saw Detroit green Bay and green Bay a second time. And, and mm. New Orleans, when the defense can't hold up and can't you know keep up against higher quality opponents, that's when your offense with this quarterback is just not good enough.
1: So let's talk about that green Bay game because there was a lot of hope going into it that, you know, well, we've got an, we've got an offense now, you know, we, we and granted the defense we faced, not top par, not top, you know, top rate, Uh, or anything like that, but Green Bay is a good team, but they also don't have an outstanding defense, so it's not like we should have, you know, we we should struggle so mightily uh, against them, and it it just kind of boiled down to the fact, like we were talking about earlier, just being outcoached at every turn when we play Green Bay. It doesn't really even seem to matter who their head coach is. Their guy's always smarter than ours because that play to Marquez Valdez-Scantling that's the play where I fired Chuck Pagano because yep. it was not only did he have Danny Trevathan uh, covering Scantling on that play, but he also made like the play call was to have Trevathan fake the blitz first and then cover him, which gave Scantling God knows how many, by the way, Scantling four three eight forty. I'm probably guessing that's a few steps faster than Danny Trevathan is at this point in his career. So we're going to let him get a free release off the line of scrimmage while Danny Trevathan pretends to blitz and then basically watch uh, Scantling's you know, ass and, and, and the bottom of his cleats. You know That's all he gets to see as he runs in untouched for a 72-yard uh, touchdown. It's like, what are we doing? What, what, whose idea? I mean, we know whose idea it was, but who thought it was a good idea?
2: Remember leading up in that week, like, the quote from Chuck Pagano is that we're not going to leave any bullets in the chamber. Right. Like yeah. They, they tried so many different things, it looked like, from a coverage standpoint, mixing up personnel, mixing up formations, and trying to throw all these different things at Aaron Rodgers, which, first of all, kind of confused, I think, the Bears' own defense. They were having yeah. trouble getting set up on that Valdez-Scantling play where—
1: Well, did you hear, so- uh, you know,
2: Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show about that play? Yes, breaking yeah. it down and why he kept Aaron Jones out there because he— because that's the thing. And that, that's the other thing that I was going to get to is, like, it's coaching. It's its being out coached. The Packers can look at the Bears' defense and say, okay, we kind of figured out their general rules. That when we empty out our backfield, whether they're in man or zone, they're going to leave their outside cornerbacks on the outside. And they're going to leave their inside guys on the inside. So if we put our tight end and running back on the far outside, that's going to take their cornerbacks. And so if we put our best wide receivers on the inside, that's going to be left to the safeties and the linebackers and the slot cornerback. And so, like— that's- they knew what, how the Bears' defense handled uh, situations and could kind of tell Rodgers could go to the line of scrimmage and go, yep, all right, here's here's the rules of the Bears' defense, and here's exactly how we can exploit them. And the Bears were just totally unprepared and outcoached, and, like, that's why you fire Chuck Pagano or have Chuck Pagano retire.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just—oh, yeah. God, what a bad, bad call. Just mix it up. On you know yeah.
2: You don't. You you can never be perfect every snap on defense. But if you keep doing the same things over and over again, and trusting your guys to win their one-on-one matchups, like really well-coached teams with at Hall of Fame quarterbacks, they're gonna they're gonna put up 35 points. Yeah, and make it look so easy that it makes you sick at oh, the yeah. end of the day. And it's been so, like that for how many years? I mean, outside of 2018, I mean, it's just.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Lauren, I'm in my 40s, and so I've been alive for the entire. Uh, extent of this quarterback renaissance in Green Bay okay? because when I was a kid Green Bay was a W on the schedule every single year, twice a year, every year, you know, it was a tough game at times because in 85 they had some battles with the Packers, even though they were ringing everybody else out, the Packers always gave them a tough game, but in the end kind of like how it is now in the end, the best team always won and it was always us, and then in the 90s they bring this country kid named Favre out there and the next thing you know you know he's racked up 40 wins and you know we had like a 40 game lead in the uh in the rivalry then those guys come around now we're 6 games behind uh the Packers in that rivalry you know and Rodgers is 21 and 5 against the Bears and Jeez. you know including an NFC championship win that you know got him his one and only Super Bowl uh victory and everything and it's um it's been disgusting to watch because for someone like you, you were born after 92, correct? Yes. So this bit. is all you've known as far as Bears and Packers. And I unfortunately remember better times when Peyton and, you know, Singletary and Hampton and all those guys used to send guys like um, uh, Tolzien and uh, Zorn, you know, the, the the former coach, you know, he was their coach for a while, would ring these guys' necks for 60 minutes and easily walk away with a victory against Green Bay. Minnesota was the threat in the division back then, not Green Bay or Tampa or Detroit. Those were the easy days. It was Minnesota that we had to worry about. Now we pretty much have to worry about everybody because that's where we are these days.
2: <laughs> except for Detroit. I mean, yeah, well, except I, for Detroit. I mean, Detroit won I mean, that one game. I mean, we can't, I guess, maybe not this season, but generally speaking, the Detroit. But I, you know, I've, I've heard stories about the Packers of the 70s and 80s and how desolate of a time that was in Wisconsin. But, uh, yeah, never got to experience any of that in my life.
1: Yeah, those were the good days. (laughs) So, and you know, the the Green Bay game was troublesome for the deficits that we saw on defense and basically how we were just running around like a chicken with our head cut off against Rodgers. We couldn't stop him in the red zone. I mean, that was basically the tail of the tape for the game right there. They were four for four in the red zone. We were one for five uh, in the red zone as far as touchdowns. Uh, and everything, and because if you look at the stat sheet, it'll make you sick. The Bears won everywhere except for like red zone and turnovers. Because we had like almost like a full quarter time of possession, we ran thirty more plays than they did. Mitch had more passing yards. We ran the football uh, for more. We had more total yards. The whole the whole gambit, but we lost in three places. We lost red zone. We lost the turnover battle two to one, and obviously we lost in the scoreboard. But
2: it's like, if if I read you the
1: stats, you would not believe the Bears had lost
2: the game. I mean, when you get to the Aaron Rodgers four touchdown number, it's it's a little bit. But yeah, that
1: one becomes hard to believe, but still, you know, it's just, you know, it, it was also kind of like that the, the Titans game was like that, where you yeah. look at that, like we had like three times the yardage that they did, and somehow we lost that game 24 to three. I don't care about those garbage touchdowns at the end. Those don't count. The Titans kicked our ass somehow, and st- statistically we ran them off the field and somehow they were the dominant team that murdered us that
2: day It just kind of shows you like how easy it ends up being for those I mean, especially rogers, but like even the Titans too where like they don't they don't need to have big statistical performances because everything is just so efficient yeah. it's just it's it's they score every time they get the opportunity to do so they don't have to you know there's no not a lot of wasted yards not a lot of wasted possessions not a lot of you know turnovers or other those sort of like game changing big time plays that alter the game I and mean, Rodgers is just accurate and they have a couple of big explosive plays in there and he scores when he gets the opportunities and the bears don't and that's i mean that that's the result of the game and that's that's where those two franchises stand
1: yeah and then of course the not one not two but three interceptions that Aaron Rodgers threw in that game that we did not take advantage of. And when you play an Aaron Rodgers, you can't let him he does A, he doesn't make those mistakes, so you have to make him pay for them. Every single one. And we didn't. And who knows? And that and that's the other thing. There's a lot of that going around with this team this year. Was that there are a lot of like, you know, who knows what would have happened if we did this? Who knows what would have happened if uh, Kendall Vildor makes that one interception because that was like the one play where it looked like we outsmarted him. Yeah, you know because Vildor just stepped right in front of the football like he didn't see Kendall there, and he just steps in front of the ball, hits him hand in both of his goddamn hands, and he doesn't come down with it. It's like, come on, dude. You know, it's like I don't know what his field position was like, but I feel like that's a pick six right there. You know, <laughs> where you step in front of the throw like that, and it's you and Aaron Rodgers, and I'm pretty sure you can outrun him. So let's make that happen. You know, and I mean, in the first Packer game, who knows what the impact would have been on the team morale wise or going forward when we settled for a field goal, when Allen Robinson, when I think it was Comet that dropped the first one, then Allen Robinson dropped the other one in the end zone and we settled for the field goal, make it seven to three. But who knows what it was like for who would what what impact it would have had on the game, what impact it would have had on Green Bay to know that they're in for a game with us when we answered their opening drive touchdown the way that we didn't, you know. But who knows what would happen. Same thing with, you know, moving forward finally to the Saints game. Who knows what the impact would have been if Javon Wims doesn't drop the ball. You know, he catches that ball, and we finally get a – Matt Nagy put himself in a position to finally be the smartest guy in the room because the Saints did not see that coming. They didn't see it coming, because not only was Javon Wims wide open, but David Montgomery was wide open down the seam as well after he pitches the ball to Cordero Patterson. So, I mean, we had the Saints dead to rights all over the place on that field, on that play, and Wims drops the ball and ruins
2: everything. <laughs> it, it was a season of, of so many of those, like, what ifs. And, like, some of that stuff, I'm sure, is just kind of random luck and and, and chance and those sort of things. But, man, when it happens over and over again, you can't help but like point a finger. You know, it's it's it, at some point it's it's organizational. It's a team yeah. thing. It's it's a focus thing. It's a concentration thing. I mean, I, and each of them individually, you can make arguments. Well, the like vildor is a, a rookie fifth round pick, defensive back. You don't expect him to catch every every interception that's his hands. I mean, you know, you can you can go through each one, but man, when when you start to have a whole collection of like an inch off here, a second off there, and a, a drop pass here, and a field goal settled for there, and Uh, dropped interception he I mean it those add up and at some point you have to say it's more than just good luck or bad luck when those plays don't go your way there's there's something about how the team mentality is how the team reacts to those situations and and how how avoidable some of them may or may not be
1: yeah and and my favorite what if uh, of the season is what ultimately cost us the Lions game believe it or not because we, after the Lions scored the go-ahead touchdown, they're up 34-30, to 30. Mitch and, and company drive the ball down the field and have to score a touchdown. But if you remember, earlier in the football game, whether it was our first touchdown or our second or something like that, Rashad Coward gets bulled over on an extra point, and the Lions block it. Mm-hmm. If they don't block that extra point, Mitch and company are going for a field goal, which they were well in range of, at the end of the football game, and not trying to score a touchdown, and looking like all of a sudden looking like the most incompetent in, team in the NFL. Alan Robinson running out of bounds early, uh, trying to do a quick play or quick draw or whatever on that fourth down play where the Lions just you just it looked like a Tecmo Bowl where the defense has got your offensive play picked out and you just see the defense swarm the swarm the backfield and sack the quarterback. Yep. That's exactly what that play for Montgomery looked like when we went short on fourth and one and lost the football game
2: and and those exact examples I mean you you see so many similar situations throughout the season you know there was a a fourth down I think it was a fourth down against the Saints where Trubisky's scrambling and, and runs just short of the first down marker and it's like I come back to that same like is it fluky bad luck or is it a team that has a lack of awareness of the first down marker I mean Anthony Miller catching passes and then running backwards I mean are the right things being emphasized. Does the team have the discipline from the leadership stand fight from the top down that just really seems to be missing and permeating not directly causing all nine of their losses but certainly making it a lot more difficult.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: so many of those moments. I mean and, and it just seemed like
1: that was one of those moments where you'd see Mitch dive for the first down marker or something like that and then instead he as like he had a tra- he had, had a defender trailing him and he had a DB coming at him so i know he's got to make a decision but it's you know we're only two plays removed from the bears not scoring a touchdown because of javon Wims, and that's how we finished that drive so it was just like the the whims drop just kind of snowballed into that glorious moment there on fourth down
2: oh 100 i mean it's it it comes back to culture i mean it it really does with everything that we saw in wide receiver i mean everything we saw i mean as much as the team didn't give up per se there there's a successful culture in that regard but uh, Mitch Trubisky certain things we accept in this culture that need to change like in in this team culture that we you know that just aren't shouldn't be acceptable on a team that it it permeates even again even though it doesn't cause all nine of their losses it it has a certain stench to it and a certain uh, theme that runs through the roster and ultimately leaves you with a unsuccessful franchise yeah so
1: that's the year, and, and so we move forward into the offseason, that, that, that gray wasteland of time that doesn't have football in it. Um, well, I mean, we get football for a few more weeks, but after the Super Bowl, that's when it really starts to get ugly. But um, who are you bringing back next year? I mean, because there are guys, we got a lot of guys under contract and everything, but who's gone right now? Who are you, who's, who's going to be a salary cap? Casualty? Who's gone just for the sake of being gone? Like we don't want him here anymore, uh, kind of thing. You know, if you're Ryan Pace, and unfortunately Ryan Pace is still Ryan Pace, um, and these are your decisions to make. You know what what sacrifices or decisions are you making for this team?
2: I'll admit I haven't dove in all the way in, but I know, like off the top of my head, Jimmy Graham's contract is probably one that if he doesn't retire they'll move on from him. He's going to be 35 and, and had an all right season, but just, I, I think the generally, the plan was only one year from him and cut him in the second year. Mm-hmm. I'd move on from Buster screen as well. I thought he's been particularly weak as a slot cornerback. And there's some room for, for cap savings there. Um, potentially Bobby Massey at, at right tackle. I mean, they, they were able to kind of get by fine without him. They need to upgrade the position anyway. And there's some yep. potential to save some cap space there. And if, if I'm being totally honest with you, I mean, It's not going to happen because Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are back and they're still going to keep trying to win. But I'd I'd explore trade options for guys like even Khalil Mack and and Eddie Jackson. Just see what kind of value. I don't want to blow up and gut my entire defense, but especially with the salary cap projected to be a little bit lower and feeling like Jackson has – not been great the last couple of seasons. Not not bad safety by any means, but maybe not the $60 million guy that they paid him to be. Right. And also just Kalumak being so expensive and he's been playing really well, but I think we're seeing that he isn't as valuable to this defense as we might've thought he was that they, even when he is playing at a, an extremely high level, it hasn't had the ripple effect throughout the rest of the defense. So I just I'm not saying I'm, I'm actively just trying to take whatever I can get from these guys, but if I could get a first round pick or something, I, I'd explore, you know, moving on from one of my more expensive defensive players and using that draft pick and, and that compensation plus some salary cap space to fix some other holes elsewhere. And, you know, try and—I I mean, I'm, if I'm not blowing up the whole thing, try and get a better quarterback. You know, try and get some other things squared away. But there's going to be a lot of change this offseason. I think they're they're going to be forced to make some salary cap decisions with uh, at least a few of these guys, and and we'll see exactly where that number ends up.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's. <clears throat> excuse me that's definitely where I would kind of fall like pretty much everybody that you uh, put on that list and i'm I'm not exactly you know clamoring to bring back Javon Wims or Anthony Miller next year <laughs> I
2: think they're both under contract
1: for one year yes so you know if there is a salary cap uh, hit attached to that it can't be very much so uh, that would be a penalty I'd be willing to take you know based on what's going to happen with Allen Robinson. So it's just like, you know, can we talk him into coming back? Um, you know, what's the situation there and, and, and everything. Another question that they so eloquently dodged today as well when asking about the, the future with Allen Robinson, it was one of their other favorite phrases aside from collaboration and, and whatnot was everything is on the table.
2: <laughs> they, you, know. you know,
1: when it came to Allen Robinson, when it came to Mitch, when it came to the quarterbacks and veterans, everything is on the table. Everything is on the table. Everything is on the table.
2: And to so. be fair, I mean, they, they can't tell you, yep, we're going to, here's the contract we're going to sign. I mean, I mean, they, I, I realize when it comes to free agency that that's a little bit more the norm, but like, especially with, how disgruntled Robinson was in his last press conference kind of saying we've had 365 days to do this and yeah. they have, they haven't wanted to. I mean, we could have got a little bit more there in terms of like Ryan Pace saying, he could have said, it's a big priority for us to try and get a deal done with Alan exactly. Robinson. Exactly. No guarantees that it's going to happen, but that's a priority for us. Or I don't know that there's much harm in saying, you know, it, there, it's just not, a, it's not something we're, we're not interested in bringing back Mitch Trubisky this year. I mean, I know it would be headlines, but like, I have to feel like they've already made that decision and yeah. whether or not they're interested or not. And you can either say, yeah, you know, we're, we're hoping to get a deal done or, you know, we're probably going to go in a different direction this year. And it didn't seem like there was much reason. There's no competitive advantage there. So when we get to the draft, what are you looking for? You got to take you got to find a quarterback, right? I mean, you I mean, you can't. It just feels like it's it, malpractice if you go through this year and again, do not yes. draft. Some quarterback. It's a great word, yeah. Well practiced. Like, it's. I mean, when you're picking 20th, you're not going to get one of the top guys, and no. and I don't know. I mean, I don't know that you take a quarterback in the first round. Depending on how the board shakes out, I mean, there's a lot. I I haven't done really virtually any in-depth draft work on any of the quarterbacks to be able to tell you. I think you know Notre Dame or uh, the the North North Dakota Trey Lance. You know he'll be there, and I think the Bears should take him. I mean, I I just don't know. Or Mac Jones from Alabama. It's a deep quarterback class at least at the top there's some some real strength there so in theory the bears should be able to get one in that late first early second round potential range but you got to upgrade the offensive line i think you can you could use another draft pick at tackle you could use another draft pick at a pass rusher position you got to get the secondary improved as well and there's a lot of work to do here and we'll see how how much they prioritize like all in on winning now and signing big free agents and veterans at positions and what positions they're willing to kind of stick and roll with rookies, kind of like they did last year at at cornerback and tight end and, and wide receiver even.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's what it kind of boils down to. And even though Nick Foles is the extent of the quarterbacks on our roster uh, right now, I, I would much prefer to go after a tackle uh, in that first round to protect the quarterback as opposed to, um, you know, I would almost feel like we were settling for Mac Jones if we took him at 20. Um, I would, I, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of back on the train that I was in and back in 2017 where I didn't want us to draft a quarterback that year because we <laughs> had nothing built around him. It was Jordan Howard and that was it in 20. Cause that was the year that we drafted Tariq Cohen. So we didn't even have him yet. So Jordan Howard was the extent of our offense going into 2017. He was the last thing that I wanted. I wanted Jamal Adams to keep building our defense, and instead we trade up, give up four picks to draft the wrong quarterback. And, you know, it's like I never wanted a quarterback in the first place, let alone Trubisky or, or anything. I think you and I went back and forth because you didn't like it when I said, I don't want Watson, uh, you know, going into that draft and, uh, and everything like that. It's just that, you know, I'm, I'm more in the fact that I, I want to build up that offensive line so God forbid we can protect Nick Foles if he's the best we got going into this thing, then you know having him get beat to death throughout the year
2: like he did this year. Well, two things: one, uh, very disrespectful to Tyler Bray, who <laughs> I think is also under contract for next season, and also very disrespectful to all of the elite weapons they had for Mitch Trubisky back in 2017, including uh, the, you know, Josh Bellamy. Yeah. I think they they still have Kendall Wright at that point. I mean, yeah, it wasn't. Was that a, was roster, man.
1: Yeah, Marcus Cooper. No, he was a DB. Mar- Marcus Wheaton. Wheaton, that's it. Marcus Wheaton.
2: Yes. I just probably just got the roster up at. Deion Sims, Adam Shaheen, Benny Cunningham in the backfield. Oh man. Yeah, that, we had some horses on that team, bro. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. God, that was a mess.
1: Absolute wrong time to take a quarterback,
2: man. It absolutely was, and they yeah. went all in. Well, and and I think somebody asked this during the press conference with pace, I think I don't remember the exact way they worded it, but like similar situation to now you have a a head coach heading into the final year with a lot of pressure to win now and a strong need to draft a potential rookie quarterback of the future. But you know, some, some really conflicting dynamics there with a quarterback opening and uh, a potential lame duck head coach. I mean, this is we're in some, some similar, I mean, like to your point, they're much more built around the quarterback, sure. right? I mean, we'll see how that changes this offseason with Allen Robinson and the offensive line, et cetera. But, like, they are in a better spot than they were in 2017. But it is another potential lame duck coach year where you could draft a rookie this year and then have that rookie get two head coaches in his first two years, two offenses, two everything.
1: Yeah, and then we're, we're you know, and then, God forbid, the Bears become a team like uh, Arizona or Miami or something like that that, you know, the, with the way they're talking about Tua, they might end up taking – you know, uh Justin Fields at number three and, and, you know, maybe shipping Tua off somewhere one year after drafting him fifth overall and, you know, and things like that. And maybe the Bears be like, yeah, hey, we'll take Mac Jones this year and then next year. Oh, hey, we'll we'll take the guy that replaced him in, in Alabama, whatever that kid's name is, and then he'll be our, our top pick uh next season. We go two years in a row drafting a quarterback in the first round. Wouldn't that be a lot of fun?
2: <laughs> I mean it I I like the – I'm okay with the idea on paper, like the, the premise of the drafting drafting multiple quarterbacks and, and making sure you find the right one, absolutely. But there's a certain patience that's going to be required with successfully developing quarterbacks and identifying whether or not the player that you have is the right player. And uh, still not sure this is the right coaching staff to properly identify right. that the rookie quarterback that they might select is indeed the guy once they even have him in the building.
1: Yeah, and then – Another reason why, you know, if we had to get rid of one of them, Pace probably should have been the one to go because he took three swings at this quarterback thing and we didn't get any of them right. So, you know, we got Glennon. That was a big no. Then Trubisky, talented kid, but just not a professional, you know, franchise quarterback. He'll probably be a backup the rest of his career. And then bringing in Nick Foles, you know, that's like the only quarterback strike against – Matt Nagy, because that's the only one he had any kind of collaboration on, and you know, but but it was Pace who made all those decisions. We'll get rid of Jay Cutler. We'll bring in Mike Glennon. We'll 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 move up and ignore Pat Mahomes and and Deshaun Watson. We're gonna get Trubisky, and we're gonna bring in Nick Foles to compete with Trubisky. Those were all bad moves.
2: You could, I mean, if you wanted to play devil's advocate, you could make the argument that well, perhaps Mike Glennon was. A John Fox, not, dis, not not unilateral decision, but a John Fox influence, and that Ryan Pace felt like he had to sign some quarterback to disguise his desire for Mitch Trubisky. I mean, maybe that's not the best process, but perhaps Ryan Pace didn't truly see Mike Glennon as a long-term quarterback solution, which it has its own flaws. But I'm I mean I'm kind of reaching as devil advocate here, and then also that. You know, Nick Foles was a Matt Nagy decision in part. So that's not purely Ryan Pace's quarterback evaluation. And then, you know, Mitch Trubisky was the consensus top quarterback in that draft. It wasn't like, I mean, it wasn't like unanimous over the top. Everybody thought he would be the best one for sure. But like other GMs had Trubisky as the top quarterback. A lot of people in the media had Trubisky as the top quarterback. You know, Watson was no guarantee. Patrick Mahomes was certainly a complete wild card. So, like, from a process standpoint, it wasn't like Ryan Pace was completely went on a limb and took this quarterback that nobody thought would be good or be a top pick and just completely was this idiot that no one agreed with. I mean, a lot of people thought it was a great pick and a great decision at the time. So, like, it didn't pan out. But, like, you you can – I mean, you can make excuses easy enough for Ryan Pace. I mean, I I realize that that's what those are. But, like, you could say – I mean, you can – you can weigh that versus some of the other late round picks that he has found and some of the free agent success that they've had with other players and say, OK, well, maybe he has some eye for evaluating talent and just has had extenuating circumstances at quarterback that, yes, he, he deserves criticism for and, and has obviously gotten wrong. But maybe it's not purely a 100 percent reflection that this guy doesn't know quarterbacks. He's just had other factors play into those decisions.
1: Well, the one that I actually give him a pass on is Mike Glennon uh, for two reasons. One. Because Chicago was done with Cutler at the time where they did. We just, they, the bear fans were happy that our quarterback wasn't Jay Cutler going into 2017. That was the big thing for a lot of bear fans. We were, we were done being anchored to Cutler. They signed him to this horrible deal or as far as horrible, as far as the team is concerned that anchored us to Cutler for four years. They went all in on a seven year deal uh, a year after, you know, coming off a season where his backup was good, if not better, than him that season. So it was more like a credit to Tressman than it was to Jay being the quarterback. But they make this huge commitment to Jay. They bring him back. It doesn't work out. We finally get loose of the guaranteed money so the Bears can let him go. And the second reason was we signed Glennon to a very team-friendly deal where, A, even though $17 million is a lot of money for a starting quarterback in the NFL even in 2017 – it was not because I think that was the same year that that um, uh, Matt Ryan broke the thirty million dollar a year mark. So getting a starting quarterback for seventeen million, not that big a deal, and it was a three year deal where the Bears could cut him loose after one. So there was very little risk involved, and it was it was always kind of designed where it would look like Mike Glennon was a gap quarterback anyway, like whether it was to get us to twenty eighteen, where the where the big time quarterback class was coming from. Or so that he could coach up the the rookie that we were going to draft
2: in 2017, and that was a, a free agent quarterback group that was not strong. I I no. haven't been able to find like the full comprehensive list, but looking back, I mean it was like Cutler. There was a 37 year old Tony Romo was at the end of his career. <laughs> Cousins was franchised by Washington. And then it was like Brian Hoyer, Colin Kaepernick, Robert Griffin, Brock Osweiler. I mean, yeah. the only thing is, I feel like wasn't was that the same. Was that around the same time that the Jimmy Garoppolo Patriots trade stuff really started picking up? And I remember a lot of Bears fans wanted Jimmy G. I just don't remember. I feel like that was about the same time, right? It was
1: around. I think it was a it was a pre twenty eighteen move, but there was a lot of talk about the Bears giving up number three for Garoppolo. Yeah, it was they
2: like mm. mid season during twenty seventeen, but it was that off season that the rumors to the Bears had picked up. So yeah, yeah it's about the same. That was. Potentially the other option instead of Mike Glennon, but other otherwise in terms of free agency, it just wasn't wasn't a thing.
1: Yeah, so I kind of give him a pass on the Glennon one because it was a move that he kind of had to make. Like I said, the Bears or Bear fans were over uh, having Cutler as the quarterback, and you know didn't really care at the time who the quarterback was going to be so long as it wasn't Jay Cutler uh, anymore. Especially after three of thirteen season, he was hurt half the year. Uh, You know, we were subjected to Matt Barkley and Brian Hoyer that year and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And it was just we were just ready to move on. And that was the move he made in order for us to move on. But the problem was he doubled down and, uh, you know, put Glennon in a hell of a spot by drafting Trubisky uh,
2: that year as well. So
1: kind of a mess Uh,
2: again, like process wise. Did they go about it the right way? Not even a little bit. No. Yeah. That's why. You know, even more so, like, again, you can look at the results of the quarterbacks that they 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 and the results of their wins and losses. But like, have they gone about things always in the correct ways? And it sure doesn't feel like it.
1: No, no, it doesn't. So. So, yeah, we got an interesting schedule next year. I mean, I are we having a 17th game? Is that official yet or is it still something that has to be talked about this offseason? Do you know?
2: I am not I'm not sure on that. I'm I it's my understanding that like if if I'm correct that it's not officially official but it is assumed to be happening for sure but it hasn't actually been formally but I'm not but I'm not 100% sure on that.
1: Because we got the NFC West and the AFC North next year. So the Steelers, the Browns, the Bengals and the Ravens, hip hip hooray, three playoff teams there. Then we got the Niners, the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals, and then same place opponents. I think we get Tampa Bay again.
2: Let me see. Right?
1: Yeah. Second
2: division.
1: Yeah, we get the Giants again. They're the second place team. (laughs) We're already playing the AFC or the NFC West, so that's the Rams, and then yeah, Tampa Bay, second place. So we get Tampa Bay and the Giants, and if the rumors are true the other the 17th game would be the second place finisher for the AFC West which would be the raiders so yeah, i've
2: heard as well yes
1: yeah so and i'm not sure how that how that works as far as like how we decided it was the raiders or or you know or that it was the afc west i should say as far as who the but it's going to be a same place opponent from the other conference to fill out that 17th game i was wondering how they were going to work that like how how they were going to do it or if it would be another you know in conference game but instead they're going with a another out of conference game there so we a get lot. the the AFC North and the Raiders if that holds true
2: a lot of playoff teams a lot not only the AFC North but some of those other I mean that's I mean we know of course from year to year the playoff teams tend to fluctuate and it's it's impossible to predict schedules but it uh on paper at this point and they're not going to make it easy yeah and it's, it, it's right? not pretty Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, three playoff teams in the AFC North alone with, you know, Cleveland, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, the uh, the 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 AFC, the the NFC West was kind of looked on as the best, uh, the best division in football for a majority of the year with the Rams and the Seahawks and the Cardinals kind of playing musical chairs with first place uh, out there before, you know, the the Cardinals kind of trailed off there at the end of the season. And who knows what happens with San Francisco if they don't literally fall to pieces via injuries like starting week two. They lost like six guys in that game, including Garoppolo, you know, Nick Bosa. You know, like anybody who was anybody on the team got hurt in that game against the the
2: Jets week number two. And their season fell apart after that. And we can presume that, you know, some of these teams are going to get worse and some of these teams are going to get I mean the 49ers are probably going to get better I mean they're going to be healthier and they might make some change but like the Pittsburgh Steelers certainly feel like they're going to get worse and they're, yeah. they're in, a, in a negative direction and it, it, that's what's that's what's so difficult about a lot of this I mean some of those AF, some of those NFC West teams like you said we're so volatile I mean, we don't we don't even know if the Seahawks are good I mean <laughs> you know like it's it's just a weird and like the Rams were winning games with their backup quarterback and there's it was floated out today that they could be one of the teams interested in trading for Deshaun Watson. I mean, there's a lot is going to happen with the Rams would be that they'd, they'd send golf and draft picks for Deshaun Watson. That was what draft picks. Well, you know that they don't have a
1: first round pick to like 2026. I mean, how what are they going to trade or what, what are they going to trade to Houston that they would been interested in?
2: It's Houston. So you, you can never put anything. That's true. That's you know true. But I mean? they
1: got a Patriot guy running the show again. Uh, Lauren, they're not going to get the wool pulled over their eyes.
2: they've had a Patriots guy running the show above him. Exactly.
1: That's
2: (laughs) they they had a Patriots guy running. Yeah. Yeah. They had a Patriots guy uh, a long time. It's, it's going to be a fun off season. I mean, maybe not as much for the bears, but it's going to be a fun off season in the NFL. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays. I am
1: too. And, and I'm interested to see how the off season actually goes. Will now that, 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 you know, I mean, even though we're getting more cases every day and, and all that kind of stuff, now that we've kind of got a handle, on COVID or at least a handle on how to get to daily life in the NFL with COVID, you know, will there be OTAs? Will there be mini camps and stuff like that this year that probably hurt a lot of teams this year for not having it and, you know, having a regular off season program versus what we, what they were subjected to out of caution uh, in this off season.
2: And there's, there's already rumors that perhaps the NFL scouting combine won't happen because of so many people in that you know that space and true you know, yeah. do you count 40 yard dashes if they're wearing masks you know what i mean or like, like how <laughs> that's going to work and you talk about that influencing teams like the bears if you're looking at a quarterback you know if, it, if you're a certain team that maybe puts either you know a lot of stock in the combine or too much stock in the combine and let that influence your decisions or maybe you're a team that has figured out something in the combine that actually does tell you something about whether a player is going to be good or not. i mean there's uh, all sorts of debates over just how valuable those measurements are, and if you just don't get those or you only get pro day measurements, which aren't always 100% accurate, right, there's a right. lot of potential here for COVID to still shake up free agency and the draft. And and hopefully by OTAs and mini camps and stuff, uh, a vaccine distribution has gone far enough that football players are able to get that pretty well back to normal, but – I'm not, I'm not getting my hopes up too high for anything at this point.
1: Yeah, especially since I'm hearing that everyday folks like me and you probably won't get a try at the vaccine till like, the summer or early fall or something like that. It uh, doesn't exactly breed a lot of confidence that things are going to change anytime soon.
2: Well, football players are essential workers, so, you know. we got to. Well, gotta, of course yeah. they are. Yeah. High priority. There's,
1: there's billions of dollars left on the table <laughs> if those guys sit at home and do nothing this year. So, yeah, that's not going to happen. So, I mean, you saw how they forced those kids to play football in college this year. And speaking of which, for 1AA schools like my alma mater, Western Illinois, their season starts next month in February. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we still got another whole college football season left to go on the lower level. So, you know, football is not exactly done yet.
2: And scouting some of these players is going to be different when you you have Ohio State playing a half a season of, you know, of Justin Fields' tape and all those players. I mean, you have very different sample sizes now for – different players, depending on how many games their school was able to play. And and like you said, at the lower levels, like if those guys have to turn around and play in the spring and then go right into mini camps and stuff, there's obviously going to be some challenges there and teams are going to be trying to get that tape on that. I mean, this is the draft process is inevitably affected already by COVID-19. It's just a matter of how different it ends up being and how that affects teams' evaluations because it certainly was already a little bit funky last year and now sort of have a full year of abnormal draft preparation.
1: What's funny to me, though, speaking of COVID nineteen and its impact in the off season, that, you know, I'm not so sure the Bears got that pick wrong when they took when they picked Foles over Cam Newton. I think the only one that we missed out on, to be completely honest with you, is Andy Dalton. Like I, I was actually kind of high on the Bears bringing in Dalton to to compete with Trubisky, and I think hindsight twenty twenty, he's probably the one we should have gone after instead of Foles.
2: You know, I still, I still. I think the jury's still out on Jameis Winston in that regard. I true, know
1: that's true, yeah.
2: And then, you know, the likes of Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, they weren't—how much they were actually options, we don't know. But it, clearly the Bears weren't interested in quarterbacks that were above and beyond better than Mitch Trubisky. They wanted him to have competition. So, like, that, that's where I still get bothered by the Foles thing is, like— they had opportunities to clearly upgrade that spot, but instead they wanted to go somewhere where they could still compete with Trubisky and, and placate him and still give him another chance as opposed to prioritizing having the best possible quarterback on the field in 2020.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the, and like, like the way that I would rationalize it was that bringing in somebody that's supposedly on the level or maybe just a little bit better was supposed to motivate Mitch and bring out the best of him. And unfortunately, we didn't see the best of him until he was forced back into duty 12 weeks into the season after getting benched for playing like he did in 2019, the first three weeks of the season and and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, I actually got into a real bad back and forth with a former listener of mine uh, because well, because I was, you know, wasn't letting Mitch off the hook for how he was playing, you know, and it was like, well, it's more it's it's more naggy than it is Mitch is like that might be true. But he's still got to run the plays that, that Nagy is calling. So it's, you know, if, if he's not out there and he's not doing the job, uh, you know, like the first half of that Lions game, I was ready to drive out to Detroit and shoot Mitch dead. Like, I didn't want, him, I didn't want to sit through another 2019 again. I just wasn't willing to do it. You know, like I was my knee jerk reaction after the first half of the first game was get him out of there now. Get Nick Foles in there to help. There's no way that Foles was worse than this in training camp. There's no way put Foles out there, let's see what happens. And, of course, he had his heroic fourth quarter that saved a job for two weeks, or a week and a half, I should say. You know, he has that great first half against the Giants, and then the second half was terrible. And then he starts off cold again against the the Falcons, throws that pick in the third quarter. And, honestly, I wasn't expecting him to get yanked when he did, but I wasn't
2: surprised that it happened. It just seemed like, not only this season, especially this season, but even throughout, like, Everyone always wanted to make it. Well, it's either Matt Nagy's fault or Mitch Trubisky's fault. Like, right. it, it didn't seem like there was it's re-
1: collaborative, Lauren. I mean, come on. It's the word <laughs> of the day. You know, it, I feel like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Every time somebody says collaborative, we should all start screaming.
2: Scream real loud. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it just, and it, it's, it's so, you, you miss so much of like the context and the gray area in between. Like, it was clearly both, right? I mean, it, it's, yeah. you, and you can argue maybe who deserves more, but like either one of them is innocent. Like the people that believe Trubisky is this great quarterback that is being held back by Matt Nagy, oh, you're missing. You'll
1: Trubisky. love this because when this guy was making his case for Trubisky, he said, and I quote, that deer in the headlights look that he made <laughs> is just what he looks like when he's concentrating. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's what that's like that's what you got that's what you're bringing to the table and then he sent me another nasty email when Mitch came back and he was playing well that's like well you know I think he needed to be benched in order to play this way I honestly do you know he won the job in training camp which was pretty much his to lose because of COVID like who knows how differently that would have gone if we had a regular offseason and then and Foles has the time to build chemistry with everybody and is taking equal snaps and uh, with the first team and, and all that kind of stuff. But I just felt like the the guy that we saw the first three weeks and the guy that finished the season were two completely different guys that the like the benching and everything that he had to sit through and watch and stomach and get frustrated with made you know the guy that made the guy that we saw in the second half of the year.
2: Yeah, he definitely came out with a lot more confidence. Yeah like conviction and understanding of the offense. And I wonder if some of that, too, is just watching Nick Foles run the offense, seeing somebody else do it in your building, throwing to your receivers behind your offensive line with your coaches. It's one thing to watch tape of Kansas City, you know, but that's – it's the same offense or whatever, but it's a different different feel. And this isn't just like Chase Daniel filling in for a game, but watching someone who has a lot of experience and has had a lot of success in this offense – and somebody who can take charge with with Nick Foles and like, Trubisky started speaking up more in terms of like meetings and what he wanted because I'm guessing he watched Nick Foles be unafraid to call out Matt Nagy. Yeah, was like, we got to do things differently. And I think Trubisky benefited from watching Foles, even though Foles wasn't always playing at a, at a super high level. There was a benefit there, but I just I do still feel like it's generally the same quarterback with this. I mean, he still had a lot of the same flaws. It was yes. just he had a different. He carried himself differently as a result of the benching, and that, and that it led to improved play because there was more confidence and there was better understanding of the offense and more of an ownership of it.
1: Yeah, and then it kind of goes back to that comment that he made about the culture and what you're willing to accept. I think before he was willing to accept the orders of his coaches and what he did, not realizing that it was just as much a part of him saying what he wanted to do. Which is probably what he did learn from Nick Foles. Like, dude, you got to speak up. If this is what you want to run, if this is what you feel like you can run best, then you got to tell him that, and they'll listen to you. You go out there, you show them, you do it in practice or whatever, and, and think like you got to step up and say something, not just be the good soldier and do what you're told. It's you know that's part of it, but it's not all of it. And I think that it was necessary for him to do that. And then you know a couple more before I let you go here. I know we're running long here, but like well, like we always do. But. Where do you fall on the thought? Because I had a buddy of mine ask me, um, is the season any different if Mitch plays the whole season? Like if they stuck with, with Mitch and we ride through all the way to where we are now, how many more games do we win? My answer to him was zero. I didn't think we win any more games than we do. As a matter of fact, because I thought that benching was so essential to who he became in the second half of the year. I think there's actually a game or two that we lose. Like, I don't think we beat Tampa Bay if Mitch is the quarterback of that game.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of, as soon as you said that question, I kind of thought, yeah, they might lose more games had, yeah. had they made that change. Although, I mean, I, I wonder if, you know, you'd say you don't bench Mitch Trubisky in week three, you, then you start to have the offensive line troubles. I mean, part of the part of what happened with Nick Foles was, you know, the offensive line was injured in front of him absolutely yeah him. the offensive line. And then and then Foles got hurt and, and Trubisky came back and got the job back and kept it. But like. You wonder if if Foles hadn't come in right away and maybe Trubisky starts the first eight or ten weeks and Foles comes in after the bye week, maybe with that offensive line combination. If you don't get a very different Foles experience over the second half of the season compared to the Foles experience that we got and maybe a very different Mitch Trubisky experience over those those games. I mean, maybe you don't beat Tampa Bay, but maybe you beat Green Bay in one of those. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so many different ways. I mean, if you assume that you start Trubisky all 16 games, I don't know that you win eight games this season. But no. if you if you go back in time and reverse the Mitch Trubisky benching in Week Three, and then maybe Trubisky gets benched later in the season, and Foles has a different dynamic, maybe you have more of a different outcome than the other hypothetical. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because I just like with with all things uh, being equal, and and you look at you take everything on, at face value for what it was at the time. Like, I don't think we beat Green Bay because it was a lot of foals and his poise that got us where we were at the end of that uh, game that that led that game-winning drive to the Cairo Santos uh, field goal. And then, um, you know, I certainly don't <laughs> – we were horrible against the Rams. I think that one could have been an even bigger disaster uh, with Mitch mm-hmm. out there, trying to make something happen where there was nothing and throwing more interceptions than and things like that. Um, you know, it just – you know, and I don't think we take the Saints to overtime in that game uh, as well. So I think there's a lot of things that I don't see happening with Mitch out there because of the Mitch that was you know wasn't quite as confident and wasn't speaking up and wasn't taking car- charge and, and control of his fate in the offense and then it's like the last um, the last six weeks of the season he's been like screw it man, I'm probably out of here anyway, so I'm gonna do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> or I'm going to do what I, you know, I'm going to do what I know how to do, or I'm going to speak up and say something. What's the worst that's going to happen? What are they going to do bench me? They already did that, and you know, they, and they they saw that that didn't work out, so they're stuck with me now. So we're going to do this my way, and for the first five weeks or so, it looked like that worked out just fine.
2: Yeah, it, it was so critical, I think, for Mitch Trubisky's future. I mean, I to sac- to improve his. I mean, I like I realized that. He didn't win a lot enough games, and, and I think it ended on a, a low enough point with the Packers and Saints losses that he's not like drastically changing anybody's mind. But I think right. he made himself some money this offseason. Mm-hmm. He's he's not going to go somewhere to be signed instantly as their guaranteed Week One starter, but maybe he goes somewhere and competes to start as opposed to going somewhere as purely the backup. You know, like more like Marcus Mariota to the Raiders type deal than yeah. you know. Chase Daniel to the Lions type deal, right yeah agreed wouldn't it be funny if he
1: went to San Francisco to compete with Garoppolo
2: <laughs> i mean it, it wouldn't be a terrible fit I mean the way that no just, it wouldn't
1: you know, I mean was, I like the way that I hear it'd probably be the best fit for him uh to go out to San Francisco because they run the ball a lot more they're they're killer but they're basically they're they're what we want the bears to be, or traditionally they're they're a run first kind of offense, they're staggering. Uh, on defense, would might also change because their defensive coordinator is going to be a head coach somewhere next year.
2: So. I, I'd like to see Mitch as Lamar Jackson's backup in Baltimore. Oh, interesting! Yeah, see him run that offense a little bit. I mean, he's not as fast as Lamar, but like that's a very run first, you know, and that's that's a team that isn't doesn't require their quarterback to be an elite field reading pocket passer all the time that you know you can that's a team that has been able to maximize the mobile quarterback in that way that I think it'd be fun to see Mitch I mean he wouldn't be competing to start there wouldn't be the ideal opportunity for him in that regard but But he's an
1: upgrade from Robert Griffin for sure
2: and and uh the Penn State kid Trace McSorley was their other back oh dear god yes definitely yeah absolutely so
1: oh okay Lauren I think we've beaten this one into the ground I think I can let you let you go now. Get yourself a late dinner, and uh, as always, man, thanks so much uh, for for coming on and, and you know spinning the yarn for me with uh, with this year and review stuff. And um, you're going to be doing five 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 shows a week during the off season. What do you got planned
2: for Locked On Bears? That's the plan for now. I mean, we're, I don't think we'll keep it up all off season. We we tend to tone it back a little bit when there's really uh, the dead months of summer. But especially sure. with free agency in the draft, we're still chugging along. Still. Uh, still bringing that daily bears news and analysis and try and have some fun with it and bring a little bit of a different perspective to it. Try not to rehash the same things. Everybody's always talking about and have some fun with it along the way. So it'll be yeah. fun. And I'm sure you, you will be back on there very <laughs> soon, if not, uh, if not regularly.
1: Well, I plan on having you because remember last year we did the, what if with the seventh seed and, uh, you know, what if the Bears uh, had played, uh, you know, made the playoffs a couple of more times during the Lovey era because there was a seventh seed and how that would have worked out. And, you know, I'm trying to think of some ideas to, you know, like you said, and to not just keep regurgitating the same stuff over and over again and, and you know, try to have some fun things like that. Like I'm a buddy of mine and I are planning on doing a, a, a like a watch along uh, type thing to watch like an old Bears game or something like that. And. You know, like you can watch along with it and hear us commentate it basically and whatnot like that. So I've got some plans. Uh, you know, I want to I want to stay active in the off season because I know that it's going to take a nuclear holocaust for there not to be football in the fall. So it's not like this past off season where I was almost completely inactive because I wasn't sure there was going to be football in 2020. So I was hesitant to get excited about a season that might not take place. Well, we all know there's going to be a cold day in hell before the NFL doesn't play football. So there's going to be a 2021 season.
2: And maybe just maybe we'll peek behind the curtain a little bit we might be able to do an in-person podcast here at some yes, point. Yes, absolutely. I find myself in your neck of the woods a little bit more and we'll, we'll see how we'll see how the uh, the timing and everything works out with that. But yeah, that's, maybe, that's in the in the higher realm of possibility here. Absolutely. That could
1: also be one of the watch along podcasts. Oh as yeah, well, there you
2: though. go. That could be fun.
1: All right, so Lauren, thanks as much. Uh thanks so much again. Uh Cox Sports 1 on uh Twitter, correct? Yes, sir are you on are you on the gram
2: uh not not professionally okay no.
1: <laughs> so we won't throw that
2: one out there then uh so follow him on
1: Sports one on twitter and uh as always lauren we love having you man
2: hey i, I look forward to it every every six months or so however often we end up doing these and uh looking forward to it again soon <laughs>
1: Well, there you have it, guys. The year in review, uh, as spoken by myself and uh, our good friend, uh, Lauren Cox from the Locked on Bears podcast. Be sure and tune in to, uh, to his show. A lot of good information uh, and analysis being shared there. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I plan on being very active uh, during the uh, off offseason. Um, keep an eye on the social media, BTU underscore Larry uh, on Twitter and on Instagram um you know and there's always the facebook page uh just search bears talk underground and you'll be able to uh you know join the group like the group um you know and of course uh like and subscribe the the show leave a review you know some of you are very kind <laughs> some of you like to criticize me that's cool man i dig it but uh you know it's uh always nice to get feedback so feel free to hit me up ask me questions uh or anything like that so um, you know, like I said, plenty. I got lots of ideas on stuff that I want to do in the off season because, like I said, I've I plan to be very active. Uh, but the reason I was saying to keep an eye on the social media was because you know I, I don't know if I'll be active throughout the playoffs. Now that the bear season is is over, will I wait until the Super Bowl and kind of dive in uh, from there and try to fill in the time? Or uh, you know, I don't know because I don't know if I want to take a break, but I also don't know. You know, maybe we'll have a uh, a show, uh, you know, in the next week or two if the Bears name a defensive uh, coordinator. Or I'm also hearing rumors that um, Jay Rogers, our defensive line coach, which would be a very good candidate to take over as our defensive coordinator for Pagano, uh, might be a hot candidate to follow somebody else uh, somewhere. I think, like, if, if Brandon Staley, uh, who was a uh, – who was, I think, our outside linebacker coach under Fangio, now the defensive coordinator in – uh, Los Angeles with the Rams who is you know led the renaissance for Leonard Floyd who ended up with more sacks than Khalil Mack this year uh, you know Leonard Floyd had ten and a half sacks to Khalil Mack's nine um, that uh, you know he's also a hot coaching candidate uh, as well and that you know maybe Jay Rogers might join him wherever he ends up going if, if the Bears I think m- you know missed the opportunity to make him our defensive coordinator I mean with, with the Bears situation, you heard Lauren and I talk about it at the start of the show for like the first 30 minutes, but, you know, with, with the Bears essentially going into a do or die year, who are you going to pull in as far as like a hot candidate or anything like that when there's no guarantee of any stability whatsoever coming into this situation? It's basically a one and done uh, situation, then he's out looking for work again and, and you know, why not go ahead and give that job to Jay Rodgers a who deserves it and one is is one of the best coaches we have. You know, I mean he basically takes anybody from rookies like, you know, Bilal Nichols and Eddie Goldman and 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 everybody to to guys that are essentially throwaways from other rosters like a like a Brent Urban or um you know, this year especially a Mario Edwards or like in the past Nick Williams and guys like that who ended up uh, leaving the Bears to go off to greener pastures as far as their checkbook is concerned because they played so well in Chicago they got bigger contracts someplace else so why not give that guy a shot and you know see what he can do with it and uh, you know maybe he would also play more of a Fangio style of defense versus what Pagano uh, was doing maybe we'd breathe life back into Eddie Jackson and and get some productivity out of him some of those pop plays that he gave us in 2017 and 2018 that would be wonderful to have back uh, in Chicago again but um, you know so whenever we announce who our defensive coordinator is going to be I'm sure that I'll uh, come and do a show maybe grab a guest to uh, to uh, do that show with me and then like I said gonna try to have some fun in the off season. maybe uh, you know have a creative episode uh, here and there um, you know maybe do like a, a watch-along type video uh, like a buddy of mine uh, Ryan Simmons who if, if any was listened to the anyone would listen to the show last year uh, he did one of my off the uh, off the subject uh, podcast where we did like a top 10 sports movies uh, podcast and, you know, maybe do a watch along with him. You heard Lauren there at the end of the show say that maybe when he and I get a chance to get together uh, during the off season, that maybe we'd do the uh, watch along uh, episode, you know, maybe like watch, a, you know, an old Bears game or something like that. Um, I think I'd like to watch an 85 Bears game with him because he wasn't around in 85 and i w- I was i mean i was only seven years old at the time but i remember these games and and uh you know i don't know if he's ever had a chance to sit down and watch the bears or walter payton and dent and singletary and hampton and all the hall of famers we had on that show on that team uh in live action so maybe that's something that we'll uh do or if you guys have any suggestions for games uh that we could watch throw them out there and maybe even uh You know, uh, hit me up with a link so I know where to go find it uh, if that becomes the game. So but, uh, you know, and like I said, one of the great things that I enjoyed this year in 2020 was I I, I seem to just knock it out of the park pretty much week in and week out with my guests. Um, uh, Tyler Raymond, Rashad for the Panthers, you know, obviously Ross Jackson, guys like Lauren Cox, Brad Motter for the Rams and so on and so forth. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, this year. The pewter cast guys love having them uh on the show. Evan Western, you know, um uh Jeremy Reisman, our division guys, you know, uh Chris Gates and so on. So, you know, I'm gonna use this off season to try to drum up an excuse to have those guys back on the show uh during the uh off season. Maybe talk about something other than Bears Lions, Bears Vikings, Bears Titans and so on uh and so forth and just uh, you know, talk to them maybe about football in general or whatever we can dig up so i um, looking forward to uh, you know hashing some things out if you guys have any ideas feel free to hit me up uh, on the on Twitter at btu underscore Larry with your ideas and uh, we'll see what we can pick uh, up during the off season. aside from the you on staples you know like the um, free agency preview and review uh, the draft and and um, the schedule release and so on and so forth. So, And I'm also kind of thinking about maybe doing something a little different with the draft this year, especially since we have a first-round pick, which will be somebody that most people have heard of before, as opposed to picking for the first time in the, in the, in the late second round or the third round where, you know, very few people outside of that, that kid's uh, college fan base knows who they are uh, kind of thing, that, um, that maybe I would kind of look at the progression Uh, of the draft like maybe if you know after the Super Bowl I'll uh, I'll have a draft guy on and and we'll talk about you know what does the draft look like now who are the hot prospects then maybe come back after the combine what's changed who really made a name for himself who made some money who was a day three pick and now all of a sudden might be a day one or day two and so on and so forth and kind of go through the process to see how it changes you know like maybe we'll do one after the bowl games you know like the senior bowl and, and those uh those type of experiences to see how much it's helping and hurting, uh, various players and, and so on. So that's kind of like the idea. I just need a co-pilot as far as a draft guy is concerned. So keep your eyes out uh, for that. So anyway, I think it's going to do it guys. Like I said, keep your eyes on the, on the, on on the uh, Facebook and the, um, Twitter uh, feeds to see, uh, when I might be back. Cause like I said, um, I think I might be taking a break through the playoffs and then back at it after the Super Bowl when the season is officially over and diving into these offseason episodes. Or like I said, if the Bears hire a new defensive coordinator, anything else in the House Hall exciting uh, happens, we'll go ahead and and then you know step in and, and do something uh, special. So keep an eye on it. And uh, don't forget to say what's up to me on Twitter from time to time. And uh, yeah, close the book on 2020. We're on to 2021 with the guys we got leading the ship, like it or not. So the next time we talk, we'll be looking forward to 2021. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground.